Yes, yes. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Logic and Larry podcast. On a kind of humid Friday night from Newark, New Jersey. Just vibing with these vibes here, for lack of a better term. I'm feeling the vibe. <laughs> Again, for lack of a better term. Everything I say on this podcast is my opinion and my opinion alone. It does not reflect the opinion of any other entity. It does not reflect the opinion of anybody else. I'm speaking as a private citizen in my capacity as a private citizen. I'm sorry, I gotta let this song breathe just a little bit right now. Gotta let this breathe. Ha! <laughs> Hope you're feeling it like I am. Welcome to all our listeners from across New Jersey and across the country, from the tip of the Northeast all the way in Massachusetts and Boston, all the way to the tip of the Southwest in Phoenix, Arizona, to Dallas area, Texas. If you're listening in Western Pennsylvania, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or iHeartRadio the day after, hello to you too. We appreciate you listening. You're downloading every week. I don't always hear from you. I'm going to get an email put together so that you could talk to me on email or you can talk to me off the air and I can answer some of your questions. I'd like to get to know you. This song, of course, by M. Chumay, which looks like M. Tum, if you don't know any better. M. Tumay is how it's pronounced. Of course, the band that's famous for the song Juicy Fruit, which was sampled by the Notorious B.I.G. for his hit single, Juicy, off the Ready to Die album. Many people don't know it, but this band had a couple other hits. This was one of the minor soulful hits. And also the other one was, of course, Sugar Sugar Free, which AZ, another Notorious great rapper, sampled for his hit song and one of the dopest rap songs ever, I think, Sugar Hill. Uh, and what you didn't know, maybe, was that the lead uh, percussionist and songwriter of this group, James M. Tumay, actually wrote some hit singles for Roberta Flack, um, including uh, Back Together Again and The Closer I Get to You. Uh, and so it's just a dope little little music history for you. But either way, I am very happy to be with you tonight and I'm happy to discuss all the things that there are to discuss and you know there's a lot so we had the debate yesterday and that was an interesting debate wasn't it right the debate was let's just let's be real that debate was much better than the previous debate and let's be real it was better than the previous debate as far as both candidates were concerned right Trump was better because Trump was way more reserved and he was a little bit better at kind of navigating, sticking Biden here, ducking there. He was better. But let's be real. If it was just Trump that was better, we might be having a different conversation. But how about Joe Biden? A guy who I made a prediction to, and you should listen to the Partisan Podcast, which is on D-Rock Productions page. I share it all the time. I'll share it again dope channel in general that these put together. He's another Jersey dude, an Amboy dude, but also with some Philly connects, who's into hip-hop, and he's also into politics and things, so he's got a channel, D-Rock Productions. I've been um, 
we have a show together on his channel called The Partisan Podcast, which is more of a 20-minute video type thing. I predicted what the debate would be. Honestly, I predicted that Trump would be more reserved and Trump would kind of come home and give his base maybe a little bit of a reason to come back to him. But honestly, I didn't think Biden would come back that much better. I thought Biden would come, you know, the way he usually comes at it, which is, you know, I thought he would come at it like he usually does with some long-winded answers, a little bit of hesitation. But let's be real. Joe Biden came out swinging. And, And that was probably, to be honest with you, that was probably the best I've seen Biden this campaign cycle. Now, I'm not saying Biden's been bad. He hasn't. Biden's been adequate. He's been adequate. I think people give him too much crap for a little bit of a, you know, stutter issue, a little bit of old age, but the guy has been, you know, pretty on point, but he had a little bit of, you know, sluggishness when he would speak. He's not a President Obama. He's not a JFK. But the guy last night, I mean, he did pretty damn well. He came out swinging. He made points. He was concise. He wasn't long-winded. Uh, he swung when he had to. He was passionate. He looked in the camera, was passionate, and he went at Trump. Those couple days of preparation really paid off, I think, for Biden. But let's be honest, right? The, the moderator, too, right? She was much better than previous moderators, right? She held them to the questions. She muted them when necessary. She kept them honest, for lack of a better term. So she deserves some credit, too for how that debate went. Um, you know, now, now the, the debate moved the needle. I don't think it moved the needle, right? I think most people who wanted Biden still do, and most of those, you know, diehard red hat Trump supporters still want Trump. I think it gave Trump supporters something to hang their red hats on, <laughs> hang their hats on that happened to be red. Uh, you know, they gave him something to say, look, he can, he's not completely insane. You know, we could rock with him a little bit. I think that's what it did for him. Um, but I thought, you know, look, m- there was three snap polls that I saw right after the debate. One from CNN, which was actually more Republican this time. Usually it's more Democrat. One from YouGov, and there was another one. They all came back about in the 50% to 30-something percent range that Biden won. I think people aren't necessarily even looking at it that objectively anymore. I think they're looking at it, rooting for their guy, looking for another reason to solidify their vote. And I think that a lot of people already were pulling for Biden. If you watch the town hall ratings, Biden's town hall ratings were higher. I think people, the majority of people anyway, are, are ready to move on. And so they're kind of rooting for the guy who's saying he's going to unite the country, who's going to be you know, a true American patriot in that regard, and you know, a kinder, gentler, more empathetic guy in Biden. So I think that's why those polls went that way. Trump needed to change the trajectory of the race. I don't think he did that. Um, You know, let's talk about specifics, though. I want to get into some specifics because some things really did catch my attention in the debate. Um, And by the way, when we talk about what happened and the polls and this and that, I mean, Sean Bracken's going to be on later tonight. So... We already know that we're going to be talking a lot about the polls and the breakdowns, and I can't wait for that conversation. And we are going to be taking your questions live and asking Sean questions live. So if you have them, what I'm going to ask you to do when that happens is 
I'll, you know, put two asterisks, but I'll tell you about that later. And I saw already in the comments a great point by Mr. Anthony Colancini from Asbury Park, New Jersey. His point was that Trump only looked better because it was relative to it was relative to the low bar set previously, right? The low bar set previously by Trump was so low, and the last debate was so low, the bar, that all they had to do was be somewhat eloquent, forget eloquent, somewhat coherent, and not interrupt each other and actually speak coherently for us to say it was much improved. And Trump in particular, all he had to do was not be literally throwing a temper tantrum for 10 minutes, just shouting over the other candidate for us to say he did a great job or a much improved job. There were still a lot of Trumpisms there, let's be honest. Still a lot of, it was Russia, it was China. There was still a lot of that, you know, <laughs> nonsense going on. So it wasn't like the guy came out and was just, you know, complete 180, you know, changed the way that he debated. We all know that wasn't the case. So uh, it's not like that, that, that much improvement was there in that regard. But I thought some of the interesting points in the debate, uh, one of them in particular, uh, was that I thought Trump scored a point when Biden, you know, they were talking about China policy and they were really dueling it out. They were getting in the weeds. They really were. I mean, I thought it was beneficial. I thought it was some real old school good, good politicking there, honestly. I mean, they were getting in the weeds on China, right? Biden was talking about the things he had done during the Obama administration with China, the trade deficit that had actually increased under Trump. I thought there was a window for the Pacific trade deal talk, but that didn't come up. Trump was talking about actual policies regarding farmers. I mean, things were really going back and forth with China. And Trump hit him. He said, look, you just, we were talking about China. We're in the middle of a China conversation. And you just reverted to your typical talking point about sitting around the kitchen table. And he said, come on, Joe, I thought you'd do better than that. And that was pretty natural. And I think that was probably the best thing that Trump did the entire night because it came off genuine and it hit Biden in the face. Let's be real. Just because you hit him in the face once, I'm not saying Trump won. I'm not saying Trump got the best. I'm saying that was the one time I really saw Trump land a legitimate punch right on Biden's nose. And I thought it resonated. I thought it was good. Um... And in the meantime, this song right here playing in the background, just so you know, some little Jersey history. This is The Escorts. This is called Look Over Your Shoulder. Now, this song, believe it or not, the sounds that you're hearing right now, this actual recording, this actual recording was recorded in Rawway State Prison in the 60s. Rawway State Prison. Could have been the 70s. I'll, I'll get the exact date. But this was recorded in Rawway State Prison. These were prison inmates at Rawway. They won a prison talent show, and a Motown producer listened to them and liked them enough to convince the warden to bring recording equipment, equipment into the prison and recorded this hit. And that's just some Jersey history. So I'm going to let it breathe for just a second before I keep talking about the debate. Yeah. 
and the the date was 1973, by the way. So just just a little Jersey history, just because I'm vibing with you tonight. I'm in that kind of mood, and I got the a dope soundtrack I put together for you. Wanted you to know that. So 1973, this was recorded in Rollway State Prison. Now, back to the debate. Um, another thing that I think Trump thought he landed on him, which we'll see, the polling will show us in the next week or so, was when Biden said that he would transition from oil to, you know, renewable sources of energy. And everybody's focusing on him saying he would transition from oil. But that, I don't think, was the, the thing that hit him anywhere, you know, near relevancy. I think everybody knows we have to transition from oil. If anybody doesn't understand, the, the ma- major oil companies are already transitioning from oil to renewable en- energy. That's already a thing. No one's astounded by what he said there. I think what he might have heard himself saying was when he said that he would stop subsidies to oil companies, just flat out said it. That's pocketbook stuff, right? If you are an executive or you work for an oil company, then you probably have some semblance of an idea of what the subsidies might mean to your livelihood, and that might have hurt them. Now, Trump's amplifying that, acting like that was the biggest groundbreaking, for lack of a better term with fracking, biggest groundbreaking thing ever, and it's going to just lose him the election. I don't see it that way. I don't think it was that pivotal, but that's just another thing that happened in the debate that you could maybe say had something to do with, you know, how the debate went. I think overall, look, Biden's message about renewable energy, the truth is when you refit, retrofit several buildings to be environmentally more sound, when you create new energy, when you manufacture tens of thousands of new vehicles that rely on electricity, when you manufacture and build charging stations across the United States to accommodate those new vehicles, when you build and construct high-speed rail to take some of the burden off air travel and vehicle traffic, when you do those things, you, of course, create tons of jobs, hundreds if not millions of jobs. And so Biden was very pointed in that, and he made a good point. Now, I don't know, right? I, I'm so curious, and we'll talk to Sean about it later. Are there these masses of people out there, really, that vote strictly by what their job is, and they're waiting for somebody to say what they're going to do to their livelihood and then pulling the lever? I have doubts about that, right? I think a lot of people have a myriad of political issues that they're concerned about. I think a lot of people understand that change in this country is incremental enough that it's not like somebody gets elected and the next day you're either filthy rich or doing great or you're flat broke and unemployed. I think it's, they know it's like a, you know incremental kind of flow that happens. So I don't know if there's these voters all of a sudden in these states that are just going to say, oh my God, he said there's no more oil subsidies. Well, I'm voting for Trump. I don't know if that's a thing. I just don't know if that's a thing. So I'm not necessarily thinking that was so groundbreaking. Now let's talk about the other point. Let's talk about when Biden hit Trump, right? Let's talk about the border policies, the immigration policies. I thought that when that came up in the debate, right, when Biden looked at the camera and Biden was, you know, this last time you saw him pointedly look at the camera and address the people as if it was somewhat rehearsed, you know, he had to do it. They told him to do it last debate last night. What I really saw was, it seemed like anyway, 
It seemed like Biden was really railing against what he perceived as being genuinely inhumane and genuinely anti-American. And one of the finest points, I thought, was when he was just going off, half looking at the camera, half looking right at Trump and just saying, you locked children in cages at the border. You separated children from their families. And 500-plus children right now are at risk of never finding their parents. The federal government, your federal government, cannot locate these children's parents. And he wasn't just making some kind of political talking point. You could feel the emotion. He said it was a humanitarian disgrace and an international crime. And I think he, I mean, he meant it. You felt it. And I thought Trump looked horrible. I think Trump reverted to Trumpism, for lack of a better term. When Trump said, well, I went down, I sent people to the border, and they looked, the camera crews, and they're very well taken care of. I mean, that was so, so tone deaf. So tone deaf. I think you could really feel how tone deaf that really was. And I think it resonated with people. I don't think that's a popular policy by a long stretch. And I think the way the two candidates' emotions came across, or lack thereof with Trump, I think that was a huge moment. And look, I can sit here and just vibe with music and talk to you all night about things that happen in the debate. But this is the Logic and Larry podcast, right? And some of the uh, validity or value to this show is to bring you logic and to analyze things from a perspective and through a paradigm that many times, unfortunately, we're not getting today. So I want to kind of go just a little bit in depth into that immigration, you know, exchange. Because if you paid attention, Trump kept saying, who built the cages, who built the cages? And Biden never answered it. And I think he didn't need to because I don't think, A, I don't think people are paying that much attention to it, right? The way that our news media is today, the way narratives take hold, people already associate Trump with the locking the children in the cages. The who built the cages hypothetical, I don't think resonated. I don't think it it carried much weight. And two, I don't think Biden would have been served to address it the way I'm going to address it to you right now, because I don't think people have the patience in that forum, in this soundbite culture to really follow what he would have broken down. But nonetheless, this is Logic and Larry. So I'm actually going to break down an important thing that you probably already knew because you're my listeners. And let's be real, my listeners have a lot of logic of their own. So you probably already knew this, but hey, you never know. Let me break this down. The fact is that when Obama and Biden did construct some cages at the border and did institute a policy. Now, this is something that unfortunately or fortunately, depending how you look at it or what exact issue we're discussing happens frequently in this country regarding legalities and the laws and policies. There may be a policy or a law on the books that a subsequent person will either use that policy or law for good or for bad one way or the other. And what happened in this particular case was Obama, Biden did construct detention cages down at the border and they did implement a legal mechanism wherein they would be able to separate children from adults 
And the reason they did that was because there is a human trafficking problem in this world. And they needed a way to separate when they saw a group of adults and children that they suspected legitimately, not arbitrarily, but legitimately suspected as people who may be trafficking the children. They needed a legal mechanism and a brief detention and a brief way to separate those children from those adults and to make sure that the children were not being trafficked illegally. Now, the fact is that those children and those adults are few and far between, but they do exist, right? So Obama and Biden only utilize that policy at a very, very minor, low percentage rate. They only did it in cases where they legitimately had suspicions and legitimately had reason to sus be suspicious of the fact that these children may in fact be being trafficked. And that was for the welfare of the children and the well-being of the children. That's the only time they utilized it, okay? Now, I believe it was the New York Times, it could have been the New Yorker, only recently came out with a whole expose, an internal story of the Trump administration and what transpired with the whole separate children from the parents border policy. So now what you have to understand is that that policy from Obama-Biden was on the books and it was on the books for that legitimate reason of, you know, exposing child traffickers and thwarting their attempts to traffic people over the border illegally for the wrong reasons. What Trump saw was an opening, right? And the law was on the books and, and this has been well documented and reported on. What happened was... The Trump administration and those in his administration and those charged with carrying out the laws of his administration, Sessions, the attorney general at the time, was apparently a big advocate of this, advocate. They decided, they said they were looking at ways to enforce Trump's hardline immigration policies. And one of the things that they came up with was, well, there's this law on the books. There's this law in the books that allows us to separate children from adults. Now, Obama had enacted the law, again, as I said, to eradicate human trafficking. But they said, well, look, we can do it. We have the authority under this policy to separate children and adults. Let's not use it for the legitimate reason that Obama intended it. Let's not use his facilities, his, quote, cages for that legitimate purpose. Let's use that policy as a general deterrent for immigration, for illegal immigration. Every time a family comes across that border, no matter who they are, whether we have suspicion or not of them actually being human traffickers, no matter what the context is, we are going to separate children from their parents every single time they cross the border. Every time a family crosses that border, we are going to separate the children from their parents. Now, the expose went into detail. The prosecutors along the border states, the federal prosecutors and federal attorneys that worked for border enforcement in those states several times used their prosecutorial discretion to say, I'm not going to proceed on this case because this is an infant 
I'm not going to take an infant from a mother. This is a family with two toddlers. I'm not going to take toddlers from a mother. When they did that, they got pushback from D.C., from Sessions, and from the higher-ups saying, you will enforce our policy. I don't care whether it was an infant or whatever else. If you have the ability legally to separate those children, you separate them. So the fact is that Trump and his administration use the border policy as a general deterrent to immigration. And what you have to understand, too, and Biden briefly brought this up, was that Trump claims that he's only trying to deter illegal immigration. The fact is, this is objective, right? This isn't me being partisan. This is objective. Trump has also tried to thwart legal immigration, okay? Seeking asylum, for instance, is a legal thing. It's a legal mechanism that people are allowed to do at the U.S. border. He also has sought to not allow people to seek asylum. That's legal immigration. Asylum is legal immigration, okay? He sought to thwart that. So anyway, I just wanted to break down in the Logic and Larry way what actually transpired there in a little more in-depth conversation. Yes, the Obama administration constructed, quote, cages. Yes, that policy was initiated under Obama, but it was for a legitimate purpose. Trump and his administration exploited that law in order to do what they did, which I think was inhumane as hell. I think that was completely the wrong way to go about your job. If you're the president, you have a job, and the job is to secure the borders in part. But going about it that way was disgusting. It is disgusting. Separating little children from their parents, people who come here and work their ass off and contribute to society. And the reason they're fleeing here is because our immigration system is broken and they can't get in legally because it takes forever. And to separate them from their children and from their parents is disgusting. And then the fact that when he brings up the 500 children, they says they're well taken care of. Now, after that, he's, I thought he said good. Everybody's saying he said go on. I'm going to assume that he said go on because nobody's reported that he said good. I might have misheard it and that would be just egregious. I'm hoping he didn't say that. I don't think he said it. We're just going to leave it at that. But speaking of that, another thing that I thought was interesting that Trump said during that whole exchange was Trump said during that exchange that the only people, and this was, this was telling. I want you to follow me on this. This is telling to me. He said during that exchange, he said, forgive me, I shouldn't say this, but I will. The only people that show up for their court hearings are the low IQ people. I, see, I thought that was a bombshell. And, and here's why. Number one, you're calling people that abide by the law and show up to their court hearings low IQ people. Just on its face, that's disgraceful, right? If you show up for court, you're low IQ. But let's look deeper. This is the president. This is the politician who's telling us every day that he's the law and order president. This is the president who says that he cares about following the law, that he's going to enforce the law, that the only reason he doesn't like people immigrating here illegally or undocumented is because they don't follow the law, that following the law is paramount to his philosophy, that following the law is tantamount to his leadership. Doesn't it glean some insight into his core philosophy if he says that the people who show up for court have low IQ. Who would say that except somebody who thinks that if you can get away with breaking the law, you should break it 
and only if you're stupid would you follow the law. Coming from a man who paid $750 in taxes and everybody praises him because he manipulated the system. Do you really think that a law and order person would believe that? That if you can get away with it, you're stupid not to? Does that sound like a law and order principled person or does that sound like somebody who likes to break the law? So when we talk about this presidency and all these shady stuff that's gone on and all the manipulation... And then you get insight into his thought process, and he says only low IQ people would show up to court when they could have just got away with it. What does that say about his actual beliefs and philosophies on law enforcement and his actual beliefs and philosophies on following the law and whether you should follow the law? I thought that was very profound. As an objective observer, I thought that was profound. I thought that gave us a lot of insight. And as somebody who's pro-law enforcement, let's be honest, I'm pro-law and order. (laughs) I'm a law and order guy. I thought that was despicable and telling. And, And, you know, I thought it was a big deal. Now, the other thing when we're talking about that is I thought Biden got in a great punch when he said, if you don't have anything to hide and if you're not the one making international money, he said, oh, you've been making money, Joe, for years with your son, this and that. And Biden just said straight up, I've released 22 years, 22 years of tax returns. There's nothing there from foreign governments, nothing. You had a secret Chinese bank account and you still haven't released your tax returns. He said, show them, bring them out. What are you hiding? And Trump couldn't bring them out. Trump didn't bring them out at all. He's still giving some thing about his his account. He doesn't want to listen to anybody, but he'll listen to his account. Okay. But I thought that was very effective. Just being honest. I thought that was effective from Biden. And he, he successfully, he brought up Giuliani preemptively and brought up the Ukraine stuff preemptively, which I thought knocked Trump on his heels. I'll be honest with you. I think Trump came in poised. I think Trump came in with a solid mentality that he was going to be more composed than last time. I think he came in you know, with the idea that he wasn't going to rush the Biden son thing in. He was going to look more composed, look more. He was going to comprise his argument regarding Hunter Biden more artfully. He was going to wait for the right moment. And I think Biden bringing that up preemptively put Trump on his heels a little bit. If you really look at it, once Biden brought that up, Trump kind of started reverting back to his. It wasn't as abrasive and loud because they had the mute button. But he kind of reverted into his typical, you know, you know, just insults and and Fox News conspiracy stuff, etc. Another thing I thought was interesting during that immigration point, and this goes to my point about him reverting to things. He said that people were brought over by coyotes. Now, I when I got to be honest with you, look, I'm from Jersey. I'm from Jersey, right? Rick might notice he's from a border state. I'm from Jersey. I don't know what the hell a coyote... I first thought, is he really saying coyotes, i.e. the animal, like, you know, you know, comparing people who bring kids over as animals? I, then I thought, no, no, no. Coyote has to be, rule, you know, deductive reasoning. The term coyote must have a certain meaning. It must mean, you know, some kind of gang or some kind of people, etc. I didn't really think about it. Deductive reasoning led me not to criticize it because I bet he had a... I bet he knew some term I didn't know. But I didn't know the term. 
later, a bunch of you know progressive liberals online came out saying, "How dare he compare them to, to you know basically dogs, coyotes?" And everybody's making fun of him, like you know any idiot would know that a coyote is somebody who's hired to escort people across the border illegally. But I'll be honest, I'm from I'm from Jersey. I'm from the Northeast. I didn't know what the hell that was. Rick's saying he knew, and I understand Rick knowing because Rick's from a border state in Arizona. So I get that, but I didn't know. Now, I'm not criticizing anybody who knows. It's better to have knowledge than to not have knowledge. I wish I did know. I didn't know. And it was readily, you know, you could find it online quickly, the term. So it's out there. So it's not like it's that obscure of a term. But it was interesting. I just want to use that as an example. Like, Trump says it like everybody knows it. And a lot of the things that he says, he says like everybody knows it. But in reality, a lot of it's coming just from the echo chamber of the right. It's just this Fox News right-wing echo chamber. And, and I'm not saying Rick got it from there. Rick probably knows the term because it's a known term for people that are in, interested in that border stuff, which you would be if you lived in a border state. But if you don't, it's kind of weird that you would know it offhand unless you're constantly engaged in this immigration talk, constantly engaged in this Trump talk. And it was interesting because I'm a politically engaged person. I consider myself pretty informed, and I had no clue. So just interesting. I think a lot of things that Trump says are derived from this echo chamber of conversation that we're not privy to when we are not in that environment and oh so uh my father i guess knew it i didn't know so dad you in that echo chamber i don't know i don't know what's going on with you but you know just interesting i didn't know that um and i thought it was interesting that uh you know trump said that i think just again a lot of the things that i think he says are from a certain you know echo chamber and I do have to restart the music just because uh, we had a little technical thing, but it ain't killing us tonight. But um, just interesting. Um, and I lost my train of thought a little. There was something else I was going to say here. But um, yeah, I just thought a lot of his attacks kind of reverted and went back to that, uh, went back that way. And I thought it was interesting because I thought despite Trump being more composed than he was the last time, because the bar was so low... I think it was, you know, um, it was indicative, right? Like, if, if, you're, if you had any semblance of understanding of Trump in general, it didn't improve, you know, he didn't improve drastically simply because he wasn't yelling. I mean, he still made a lot of these same points and came off the same way. So I just thought it was interesting. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting was the race conversation, right? Not, and look, look. My stance on this is well documented, and I think that going forward, I am always going to have a certain perspective on this and a certain argument that despite my being completely invested in racial equality, despite me being completely invested in the eradication of racism and living my life in that way all the time, I am going to continue to disagree, not disagree, I think we need criminal justice reforms and I think there's issues with the criminal justice system, don't get me wrong, there's things we can do to improve it. But I'm going to continue to disagree with far-left progressives regarding the fact that the criminal justice system and prosecution of crime in and of itself is the reason that we even have crime or that we are literally making up crimes just to persecute people. And I, I, the reason I bring that up, and again, I'm bringing that up as a private citizen, the reason I bring that up is 
in the debate, it seems like every time the African-American vote or African-American issues come up, it's always, always, always this emphasis on the 94 crime bill and on how many people each candidate let out of jail. And I'm sick of every time African-American issues come up, that being what everybody resorts to. African-American issues are not only crime issues, okay? African-American issues are entrepreneurship. African-American issues are education. African-American issues are the same issues that many other people share, except the fact that they have to deal with a systemic racist, you know, system every day. But the majority of African-American men are not necessarily so concerned and obsessed with the crime bill because the majority of African-American men are not involved in crime or law enforcement. So I'm sick of every time you bring up Africa. Now, to, to both of their credit, they talked about economic development. They talked about education. Even Trump, he talked about education. And I'm going to get to that in a minute about how Trump has made some inroads because polls are showing. Trump has made some inroads in the African-American community. I think this is part of it. He was the one who kind of went more toward entrepreneurship and opportunity zones. And then he still just resorted to the 94 crime bill. I thought it was interesting. Today I was watching CNN and there was a reporter and she was in central Florida in the Sanford area, which we know is a pivotal kind of swing area for Trump Biden. And she was interviewing voters and most of the voters were pro Biden. Despite the fact that Trump was there today campaigning, there was long lines at the early voting place and most of the voters were pro Biden. But I found it so interesting. I had to kind of smirk. She was went up to a young African-American man. He was a big, strong guy, you know. He was he was chilling. He was a young guy, probably my age, real big, like my friend Rhodes, you know, you know, really works out. And the first thing she says to him is, you know, who are you voting for? And then he says, you know, he's voting for Biden. She says, you know, she brings up the first thing she brings up to this guy is, well, what about his stance in the 94 crime bill? As if that was the only thing this guy cared about, okay? And this was a liberal-type report. I mean, she's supposed to be unbiased. This is CNN. She goes up to him, and she says, you know, what do you think of the 94 crime bill, though? And I thought it was funny because this guy looks her dead in the eye, and the guy says, well, I, you know, I was a cop. <laughs> I was a cop for a lot of years, you know, so criminals commit crimes. It really doesn't, you know, Biden said it was a mistake. I'm not going to hold it against him. But at the end of the day, I mean, I was a cop, so it didn't really bother me. It's like, why are you assuming that this guy's so fixated on the 94 crime bill? Turns out he was a cop. It's just, it's just funny to me. And, and here's the thing. I'm not saying that there's not mass incarceration, but there is. There's systemic inequalities in policing, systemic inequalities in, in criminal justice. I get that. But this fixation only on that bill and only on that, you know, issue just irks me a little. I mean, there's crime problems and the victims of the crimes are just as important as the people being prosecuted for the crimes. And we, I, you've seen people move to Trump. I think part of it is in the African-American community, especially African-American men, I think part of it is that we keep hammering this crime issue is the sole issue. So some people have said, well, since Biden signed the 94 crime bill, I can never support him. I also think there's another group of people who said, well, I actually live in, in, a, in a predominantly African-American area or I don't. Either way, I believe in prosecuting you know, crimes too. That's not the main issue for me. And the fact that the liberal the progressive people want to just harp on that all the time, where I believe that police are important and, and criminal prosecution is important, I'm actually going to switch parties. I'm going to go to the Republicans. 
I'm going to go to Trump because he's talking more about economics and less about, you know, being lenient on crime. And that's what I believe in. And there's a lot of people in the African-American community that believe in law and order. I mean, all of them, the majority of people, just like everywhere else, believe in law and order. So I don't know this, this whole crime bill issue. I'm just a little bit wary of hearing it over and over and over as if it's the only issue that African-Americans care about. Of course, it's a predominant issue. Of course, we need to talk about it. But I'm sick of it being the only issue, okay? It just seems to me condescending that every time an issue comes up regarding an entire group of people, the first thing they go to is the 94 crime bill, okay? It just gets tiring. And I thought that was interesting. And it's just my own opinion, you know, just letting you know how I feel about it viscerally. You know about that issue i'll always have a little bit of reservation about the way they go about that issue and i think this election doesn't matter as much because of the way things are but i think going forward if there are two more you know moderate candidates or if the left is really far left and the right candidates moderate or there's a political realignment there really may be a discussion to be had about this criminal justice thing and the fixation on it. criminal justice needs to be reformed but oh, President Obama, former President Obama, by the way, when, when discussing that issue in Philadelphia, I thought he made a great point. I mean, he said, he said in his speech, look, you can say that voting doesn't do anything because it doesn't change things right away. But the fact is that if you vote in different, you know, attorney generals, sheriffs, Everybody on the local level, mayors, you can have a huge impact on how people conduct their jobs and how people go about their jobs. And I continue to say that if you have justice-minded, fair-minded people in positions of power, the system itself is only as good as its inputs, right? Just like a computer. They always say, well, the computer screwed up, but who controls the computer? Who built the computer? The humans. The criminal justice system, the way it's set up, is just a mechanism. It's our inputs that create the outcomes. So if the people controlling the inputs are not fair-minded or justice-minded, that's why you get bad results. You need the right input. So we should be con concentrating on putting the correct people with the correct discretion and the correct values into these positions so that the outcomes are more just and the outcomes are more righteous and equal. And I just think we put a little bit too much emphasis on trying to take down the system itself. Uh, I just do. The system has been corrupted since our inception. I'm not saying it hasn't. But we spend so much time on that. And I just found that interesting. And just something else to point out. And I do, you know, you see Ice Cube, you see 50 Cent going to Trump because it's more economic issues. And Trump... Let's be honest. Trump was discriminate. He had discriminatory practices in housing. He uses xenophobic rhetoric on the regular. There's no justifying Trump, but it's just interesting that he does recognize that that nuance and he's trying to use it to his advantage. And, and Biden, for his credit, you know, another thing that was interesting, Trump kept trying to throw these far left ideologies at Biden nonstop. And Biden flat out said he's like, I don't know who you're running against. You're not running against Bernie. You're not running against AOC. You're not running against Nancy Pelosi. I, I won in the primary because I was more moderate. So I don't know who you're running against. Now, we'll see if my original analysis is accurate. I initially said that I thought 
that Biden was a good play for Democrats because I think this election was going to be won with moderates, people in the suburbs, people who just wanted to make it a mandate on Trump and didn't want to be terrified of who the other candidate was so that they would be comfortable voting for the other candidate. Uh, I think that seems to be playing out in the polls right now. I think my initial you know, analysis seems to be accurate. I think Trump wanted to run against Bernie Sanders. I think he wanted to run against a far leftist so that he could scare all these people in the middle into voting against him for fear of the unknown. And he can't do it with Biden. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, he tried to throw the super predators comment at him again. That comment... Again, I'm not justifying the comment that Hillary Clinton made, because Hillary Clinton said it, Biden didn't. But when she made that comment, again, to delve deep just really quickly, to delve deep just like I did into the immigration thing, you got to understand the context. When they passed the 94 crime bill, one of the things they were targeting was gang leaders in the inner city who were older men and one of the things that they did and continue to do, unfortunately, is they try to influence and attract and then draw in these young boys, many of whom are in middle school and early in high school. And they try to draw these young boys into their dealings. They put these young boys out on the street to sell drugs. They put these young boys, they put weapons in their hands. They try to have these young boys carry out violent acts against each other and they result in these young boys going to prison, these young boys getting involved in violence, and these young boys dying. Dying. These people are older men who prey on younger men. The younger men being preyed upon were people of color. And the older men preying upon them were somewhat people of color, also white people too who were hiring them to do all kinds of things, okay? Hillary Clinton said that those people who were recruiting and corrupting young boys were super predators because they were preying on young men and young boys of color from an early age. She called the people preying on them super predators. That has been taken so far out of context, it just irks me. Because the spirit behind what they were trying to do, it was a mistake, and there's things to improve upon. But the spirit behind what they were trying to do was not the way that it's in the mainstream, you know, dialogue now. And that's something that needs to be addressed, too. Because, again, like I always tell you guys, if we're not operating on a factual plane, we're not even having a discussion at all. And that's the truth of what they were going for. Now, Biden, to his credit, he said he wants to get rid of all mandatory minimums. But we should maybe get rid of mandatory minimums for drug offenses. But I hope everybody understands that a lot of mandatory minimums are for murder, rape, armed robbery, aggravated assault. Should those mandatory minimums... And, and the reason they enact mandatory minimums, by the way... This is why it's kind of a lose-lose. They enacted mandatory minimums a lot of times in order to rectify discrepancies in the justice system, i.e., if a judge has discretion to sentence you however he wants, they were seeing that white offenders were getting more lenient sentences than people of color were getting. 
So they said mandatory minimums because they're like, no matter who you are, you're going to get the same sentence for the same crime. They were trying to make it more equal. Didn't work out that way. We all know what happened. It's led to mass incarceration. We all know that the system's not working properly. We all know we have to change the system because there's a ton of systemic inequality. And we all know that people of color are being disproportionately affected by the system. We all know that. But it's just important to put these things in context. So those are just some takeaways from the debate. Now, again, I don't think the debate moved the needle. I think, you know, the fact that we're even having this conversation, I'm talking about in-depth policy, I guess is a plus for all of us, right? The fact that we could even see an exchange of ideas, even if they were a little bit off the mark and going a little crazy, at least we could see that, you know... At least we could see that, you know, there's some policy change. I'm not going to talk about bail reform right now. That's I'll leave that to a special edition episode or, you know, something. A, I really can't talk about it because it's too close to home, for lack of a better term. And B, if you're not in Jersey, you don't really know what goes on. I'll talk about it another show. If I get permission from people to talk about, I'll talk about it. It's interesting, um, but it's not for today. Um, that being said, look, I don't think the debate moved the needle too much. Um, but it is nice that we're at least talking about, you know, substantive things. I think it's great that we're at least discussing policy as opposed to the last time we were discussing just demeanors and personalities. So that's a win for the American people. And hey, props to the moderator. She was on point. She held them. She gave them a very brief little window. And it was funny. They were whooped into shape, man. They were like, can, can I please respond? Can I please? And she's like, 30 seconds. And they went. And then she, she changed the subject. The mute button was great to her, but she was good. She was the best moderator we've had. And I think since I can remember... And I'm going back to Romney, Obama, McCain, and they were much more, you know, civil with each other. But she was good. She was on point. I thought that was a very good moderator. It just made the conversation that we're having now that much better. So overall, I thought it was just great. I thought it was a good debate. I don't think it changes the race. I think we're kind of still where we were last time. Um, so, so that's where we are. Um, and, and we'll see. We have, what, how many days now? 11 days, something left to the election? I mean, it's the, the home stretch. Interesting thing, I'll talk to Sean about it, but in North Carolina already, 50%, so 50% of the electorate total from 2016, 50% of what the entire electorate was for the whole election in 2016 has already voted in North Carolina. 50 path. Half the people that voted last time in North Carolina already voted. It remains to be seen whether that's just half and the other half's going to vote on Election Day and it's going to be the same number overall. Or if it's going to be a way higher turnout. Some articles I'm seeing this will be the highest percentage turnout since 1918. There's going to be a huge turnout like we've never seen, which I guess is good, right? I guess it's good. Um that we're going to have a huge turnout because we need more engagement in the system. We need much more, much more engagement. So that'd be interesting, but we don't know yet. We don't know yet. Um, with that being said, I'm going to bring Sean on. 
I'm going to take a brief intermission. I want you to listen to the jazz music. And as soon as I get back in a second, I'm going to put Sean on. So just hang in, and we're going to discuss these polls. Get your questions ready. Now, when you ask Sean a question, try to put asterisks around your question so I could spot it easier. That was my father's suggestion, and I think it was a good one. So throw asterisks on it and ask him the question. I'll relay that to him. I want to ask him a few questions first, and then I'll open it up for you guys to ask him questions. But give me two minutes. I'll be right back, and then I'll have Sean come on. Sean. Hey, how are you? What's up, brother? How are you? Um, pretty good, pretty good. Now, you know, you are a hit, by the way. I mean, you got, whenever I bring you up to people, they're like, oh, that guy's awesome. I mean, is he, what kind of, what's going on in his head? He's always on point. He's got this, that. I want to ask him questions, blah, blah, blah. So, just so you know, you're like a hit over here. And if I don't put you on, I'll probably get yelled at, you know, for not having the, one of the stars of the show on. I guess I'm becoming a star in your circle. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, first of all, before we get into the poll, I mean, how's the weather out in western Pennsylvania? Because over here it's been overcast for like three days, and it's kind of nice out because it's warm, but it's just weird. How is it over there? It's, about the, I mean, it's been about the same all day today. We had more sunshine today. It was a pretty nice day, actually. It was like 75 degrees. Wow. It's a little... Indian summer near near Halloween, I would say. Yeah, interesting. You know, we get that every year. You, me, we're all in the kind of kind of quasi northeast, so we all get that. I'm glad you had some sun. Hopefully, I'll get it tomorrow. Um, right. All right, Sean. So let's. I mean, let's start where you want to start right now. I mean, we had the debate. We haven't had a lot of results since the debate. We had the debate polls, but look, we're we're less than two weeks away. What's what's the first thing on your mind when it comes to polling and the state of the election right now? Well, I mean, just to to add on to like the thoughts to the debate and everything. I I'm, I personally, I mean, we talked about it a little bit last night. I tend to agree with your analysis that maybe maybe just maybe that it'll tighten like marginally mm-hmm. because again, like we are heading into the final week of the campaign, so I mean, it's just the natural occurrence that it's probably, I mean, going to close in a little bit in the in, in the polling data, but um, but I don't really think the debate changed too much in terms of the polling, and I just wanted to state that right, um, right off the bat here. I, I do think that, that um, I was... I was actually, this, I mean, this debate was a lot better than the last debate. I'll just put it that way. I, and I, I was kind of, I, mean, I, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised that it didn't turn into a total, like, chaos like the last one. Right. Yes, me I, too. It, especially, like, after the last one was just, just so terrible and everything. I mean, it was probably the worst thing I've ever seen on TV. So <laughs> this one was a far cry from that. And right. I do think there's some, both sides have reason to feel good about how they how they did in that debate. Um, obviously, um, um, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, like Donald Trump, just the fact he kept his mouth shut <laughs> right. for more than for more than a minute. I mean, and then and then Joe Biden, obviously, the fact he didn't look too lost last night, which is kind of like a big criticism of his. Yes. Through the whole campaign, he, he looked like he was he was on point. He was on fire. And a lot of people actually thought that was his best debate performance of, yeah. of the campaign. So right. So I so I think both did pretty well. I mean, the polls show that Joe Biden won the debate. I think by like ten, fifteen, twenty points, and like right. 
thoroughly flash polls, but but then I I agree with you that it probably doesn't change too much much maybe a point here or two maybe it'll get closer, but just within the margins makes sense. So I think that's probably a good place to to start there. Yeah, so let's say that let's ask this now. Now I want to go right, right, hit you right home now. Now, early in the week, I saw some polls that said you know Pennsylvania was tightening. Right. Later in the week, it looked like it was kind of going back to equilibrium with this steady Biden lead. And on top of that, since you're in Western PA, we had this you know oil fracking thing that keeps going on. What's your overall read and analysis involving polls and what you see on the ground as a as a Pennsylvania you know resident? What's your analysis of PA right now? Because that seems to be at the forefront of everybody's mind. Oh yeah, definitely Pennsylvania. It does look like I do want to start out by saying that it does look like Pennsylvania is going to be what they call the tipping state which means it's probably going to decide, like, who wins this election. That's basically wow. a fancy way of saying that. And, and yes, there, the polls have, again, started to go all over the place, and I was kind of surprised by that. Although it is worth noting that, that as I look at the list of polling from Pennsylvania, that the polls that had it closer tend to be more conservative polls. Oh, okay. Um, like Rasmussen and everything. So that might have kind of tainted it, tainted right. the edge a little bit, but, and they're, and it looks like maybe one or two of them were outliers, because, I mean, the data, especially towards the end of the week, like from Fox News, or CNN, or, or USA Today, or Quinnipiac, and then even today, there is a morning call pullout, and that's one of our state polls, uh-huh. morning call is a newspaper out of Allentown, uh-huh. and they have the race at a Biden plus seven right now. And wow. you got 51%. So, I mean, it, I would say, again, like I said last week, um, there were a few polls earlier this week. I was like, oh, this, this, this state's getting close. And then, but towards the end of the week, it's where I always thought it was, like a four to five point advantage for Joe Biden. Now, interestingly, what Joe Biden said in the debate about oil um, last night we're going to have to see how that plays out. Right. I mean, that could be more of a thing for Texas than here. I right. honestly, um, just by being around Pennsylvania, where I sit, I don't hear a lot about fracking at all. I think fracking, I mean, is is an issue that the media is overplaying here. I really, I mean, obviously we, we've had a lot of fracking done in the state, and there was a big um, boom for a while. But, right. But... I don't hear fracking much here. I hear more about um, COVID-19. I hear more about about the economy now and healthcare. Like I, I'm not hearing much about the fracking um, issue. And I think part of it is probably pandemic related. Makes maybe, sense. But, yeah, because that's but the I interesting thing. Much about that. Yeah, that's the interesting thing what I was saying, Sean, was like, you know, we have pipelines that come through South Jersey from Pennsylvania to supply us with energy and things. And it's 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 obviously somewhat prevalent. But that's what I was making the point earlier in the podcast is, is there this, you know, huge groundswell of people that all of a sudden are going to wake up today like, well, my whole livelihood depends on this. Like how many people really are doing that? Seems like what you're saying is you're not hearing about it that much as a Western Pennsylvania resident. The media makes it a huge thing. Not that it's not somewhat relevant, but it doesn't seem to be this huge groundbreaking issue that's going to mobilize people to the polls. 
That is correct. And if, and if anything, there's probably more people, I mean, especially like after we've had fracking done across the state, there's more people that actually are, are opposed to it than, than are for it, actually. Interesting. From what I've heard in Pennsylvania. It's actually not the issue that, that um, both campaigns actually think it is because, I mean, recently you've heard Biden say, I'm not going to ban fracking, and then Donald Trump keeps hitting Right. Biden on that he's going to ban fracking. I, I mean, it it actually seems like that that it'd probably be a little bit more popular, in my estimation, if Joe Biden took the position to ban fracking. But right. But I mean, it is what it is right now. I mean, it it just I just don't think it's that much of an issue with with COVID nineteen going and and cases are starting to be on the rise here again. So makes sense as we get into to to round two of this. So I, I think people are, are concerned about that. They're concerned about what it's going to do to the economy. And I and I think that both campaigns would serve themselves well if they come to Pennsylvania and talk more about the economy and what they're going to do to to really try to, to change this trajectory around on, on the coronavirus because those two issues are definitely by and far the dominant issues here in the state. Makes sense. So now, Sean, let me ask you, let me expand in the same region a little bit. Let me ask you, what are you seeing from those other two Rust Belt states, though, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan? It seems to me, from what I'm seeing, you tell me if you see different, that Michigan looks like it's like, you know, if, if we trust the polls, it looks like Michigan might be just gone for Trump. I don't know, but what are you seeing there? Michigan, I'm going to declare it tonight on, on this show, Michigan's gone. Okay. I, I would be very, very shocked if, if, if Trump had to come back there. The polls have to be really wrong in Michigan right, right now. Like, even like today, there is an eight point lead for Biden. Fox News had it at 12 points yesterday, yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. But, I mean, it's just, it, it, and then when you take the average of the polls together, I mean, it's always an eight point lead. Joe Biden in Michigan, so I'm declaring the race gone, and it's okay. actually a larger lead than even Joe Biden's lead in Minnesota now. So I mean, that's I mean, I mean Michigan has really kind of gone, gone like big in Joe Biden's direction. Yes. Um, as for um, Wisconsin, I would say that it tightened a little bit, but I think part of it's just kind of like a natural tightening that you're seeing. Right. In, in the, in the numbers, um, it, it's still about what Pennsylvania is for a term of average. It's about five points. But right. I, I mean, I think even Wisconsin, you know, especially like with, with the early vote um, statistics, which I'm sure we're going to get into, like it, it just seems like Wisconsin is also close. Yes. Probably slipping away from Trump as well. Gotcha. And that's why Trump is, is circling Pennsylvania on the map because he absolutely needs um, Pennsylvania because it's the closest of the three Rust Belt states right, right. now. And he feels like he has the best shot at Pennsylvania, even just on some of the data with the registration, like yes. registration. He's yes. got a lot more Republicans registered this time. So he sees some things that maybe make Pennsylvania a little bit um, more closer than the other two right now. The, the other two just look really 
not too good for Donald Trump, and especially Michigan. I, and like I said, I, I, I say Michigan's gone at this point. Makes sense. Now, let me ask you this, because... You know, we see these kind of trends that cross states. And I was listening to Nate Silver the other day, and he kind of said, look, we usually see trends that, that you know, circumvent state lines because it's not just going to be one state and not another, especially states that are close by to each other. Is this swing? Because, look, we, we know last time that the polls showed that, that Hillary was ahead, but then Trump came back. Now we're saying, look, Biden's polling around 50 percent. Is There's less undecideds and things. Do you think the reason that, A, we should trust the polls more, and B, that Wisconsin and Michigan look like they're pulling away, is it because of these urban turnout counties and these suburban you know, switch, switch from Trump to Biden counties? I mean, why is Wisconsin and Michigan changing the way it is that, that we see? answer the question i mean it, it seems like i mean it, it seems like to me like there's a lot of the voters in 2016 well first off yeah i mean clinton was pulling um much lower than than joe biden is and, right. and that's a good point that you brought up obviously so, so i mean that's definitely a point to bring up like she was in the mid 40s like he's near 50 percent right and and the favorability number and that that's the big um to this is that is that Hillary Clinton's favorability uh, numbers in 2016 were much well not much lower but they were lower than Joe Biden's are currently right I mean especially like in the national numbers you you seen that she was like double digits underwater right the Wall Street Journal poll that was taken a little bit ago nationally actually had Joe Biden kind of 50-50 in terms of like favorable to unfavorable so he's doing much better with those people because remember even though trump like won these midwestern states he was also not that popular right but i think like a lot of voters i mean especially ones who voted for obama and still weren't seeing the the results maybe from that presidency that right. they wanted to plus their disdain for Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. they, they decided, well, we'll take a chance on this guy. Like, he's a businessman. He's kind of an outsider. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a chance on him, and we're going to and we're gonna put him in there to see what he can do. And then, but now, like, especially, like, with COVID-19 and, and the economy not being good and some of the things that he's done and, and the constant tweeting, I think that some voters just decided that they've, seen enough of him right. are willing to go back to Joe Biden, who is a lot more likable and more empathetic than Hillary Clinton came across. So Makes sense. to answer the question, um, basically, it, it, it just is that Hillary Clinton factor in 2016 and how unpopular she was, even compared to Joe Biden. Makes a lot of sense. So now, Sean, you mentioned something else, and I want to stay in that region. You mentioned Minnesota before, and you said Michigan was even surpassing Minnesota. I want to talk about that just briefly. It seems like Trump, I even saw something today saying, look, because he's hedging his bets, because it looks like he's losing Michigan, he's not doing well in other states he thought he was going to win. He's always been making a play for Minnesota, but he's really maybe going even further at Minnesota right now. There's some regions there that maybe are sympathetic to him because of some industries. I mean, what are we seeing? Is Minnesota... A, what are we seeing there generally? And B, is Minnesota a legitimate chance to kind of 
substitute for one of the other three states? Is there a chance Trump actually wins? I mean, Hillary didn't win it by much. What are you seeing there? Hillary did win Minnesota in 2016, so I would be really shocked if Minnesota did vote um, for Donald Trump. But I mean, Donald Trump is making a play for it. I mean, the polls are about six, seven points there. So I mean, I mean, it's more like six to seven in Minnesota, which is why I said Michigan kind of surpassed Minnesota. Right. But I mean, I I just don't I I have a hard time seeing. Minnesota voting for Donald Trump this time. Gotcha. It would have to be like a very perfect storm. There would have to be like some major thing out there, like some major late October surprise against Joe Biden that, that would probably put Minnesota into play. Right. But otherwise, I just think it's like, it's kind of like, I mean, it's closing, like the gap is closing in Minnesota. I do think the state maybe going a tad bit more conservative in general like it seems to be it seemed to be doing it here in this past decade like even in 2012 like i mean it was closer than than it was before but i i mean i i still don't think i mean especially with the way donald trump has has um come across um i mean this year with coronavirus that it would be um to where he would he would get Minnesota, I mean, possibly like if he handled the coronavirus better in, in the right. people's um, eyes, maybe. But I, I I think Minnesota isn't there either. I think he's just gotcha. trying for something and, and feeling desperate about it. Gotcha. It's, it's like a desperation hail mary. Gotcha. All right, so now, and I know because you're another football fan like us, so hail mary. Yes, we all know that reference, and yeah. I can see that. Um, Broncos fan, right? Right. Yeah, okay. So just anyway. So then other thing. Um before we talk about the other states, I think it's relevant to talk about this first because I think this plays into conversation about the other states. Let's touch on this early voting. Um I don't know if you got a chance to look at the political article that I, I shot your way today, but there's all this data on on early voting coming from all these states, Texas, Wisconsin, uh North Carolina. And it's looking like a lot of even because remember Republicans are boasting this ground game. We registered so many new voters; they broke it down by like overall ballots, mail-in, and early voting. They broke it down by new registrants. They broke it down by sporadic voters and dedicated voters. It looks like even in Texas, which by the way, Sean, I saw today, Texas with youth voters, 18 to 29. Apparently is like close to shattering records where they have 500,000 people in the 18 to 29 group that voted in Texas already. I mean, let's just generally talk about the early voting numbers, what it means for Republicans and Democrats, and then use that as a catalyst to start breaking down states. I mean, especially in the South. What are we seeing with these early voting totals? And that's interesting you bring, bring up Texas, and, and there was a Quinnipiac poll out today that showed it was like 47 to 47. Like, they had that, that tied rate. Right. And I always, like, felt like, like I always, and I still kind of do feel in a way that, that Quinnipiac is, is definitely seems to be a favorable poll to the Democrats this time. Right. A little bit. So I wouldn't read still too much into the Texas number, but I, that Texas poll, but I would say... 
looking at this early vote, like even what you said, like 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 the 18 to 29 year old vote is, is huge there right now. I mean, they they actually Texas. This is a fun fact for all you guys. Mm-hmm. Texas is actually has like the highest number of, of votes um, per state right now. They've had wow. over six million people vote already. In wow. Texas, and that's it's just incredible. Wow. What we are seeing there. I couldn't get like a partisan breakdown of who's voting and where they're voting, but but still like six million three hundred ninety-one thousand. That's that's the total. In wow. And I mean, that's a huge total. Wow. So I mean, so I mean, there could be a, a Texas surprise mm-hmm. in the making here. I mean, it, it is worth kind of keeping an eyebrow up on it. Gotcha. Just because like that that total is so is it, just so huge. The only thing I was saying, I would say about all these states, like I mean, Florida, like there's almost like, like there's like four point seven million votes cast there yeah. already. And then, I mean, Pennsylvania, we have almost like 1.5 million mm-hmm. um, of the mail-in ballots returned. Um, North Carolina, it's 2.7 million, uh, roughly speaking. And Sean, did you Georgia, see North Carolina? 2.3. Did you see North Carolina was like 50% of 2016's electorate already voted? Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Like, and I did read that article too, and I was like looking at all the trends and and. And they and and my I mean answer to that is like looking at this, like when when you scroll down and you see those charts, Joe Biden is definitely ahead, like based on like the models that that they've posted out there. I mean, especially like when you look at like 24 percent more Democrats in like Michigan yeah. and 22 in Wisconsin, and then you even look at Florida and North Carolina, like Democrats have an edge. In all of the core six states, Arizona right. and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is 44 points right now. Right. And turning in their mail-in ballots. I mean, it just. I mean, it just seems like. I mean, there's a lot of enthusiasm, at least early on, with this with this early vote. But I mean, the the thing I caution about the early vote again is just because of of there being a pandemic out yes. there, or people voting more now yes but are going to vote less on on the election day itself well that is what i'm going to be interested in yes it's going to be the election day turnout so so that would be something to keep an eye on i think you're right yeah if you can if you continue to see high turnout on election day then then donald trump should be should be really worried right makes sense so now with the early vote and the polling we already talked about, you know, we can talk about the, you know, Rust Belt states in terms of early early voting too, but let's also talk about the South and especially like Arizona and these Sun Belt states, you know, with the polls and with early voting. I mean, are you seeing anything in, you know, North Carolina, in Georgia, in Florida, in Arizona, in anywhere, you know, incorporating all the data you have at your disposal, which includes the early vote and the polling? What is the state of those races? I mean, as of now, I mean, it, this is going to be a key, too. And I didn't mention this, like, in the early vote total. Like, I've seen this here, and in, in, especially in, like, Florida and North Carolina, where both um, states are about one to two points for Biden in the, in the polling average right now. Oh, right. So it's, it's still very close in the polling average. But what are the independents doing there? Because in Florida, right. the, the independents, vote right now 
the vote share is 21 percent mm-hmm. of all the ballots turned in. That's like a fifth of the voters. That's huge. In North Carolina, um, that's over a quarter of the voters. It's actually 28 percent. Right. So it's kind of like, I mean, what are they doing right now? Like that, that, that's what I always caution people. Like, because people like to just take like numbers, like these pundits, they like to just take the number. Okay, well. In Florida, 44% of the electorate was Democrats and 35% right. was Republican. Right. Which is true, but what about that unaffiliated independent vote? Like, what are they doing? And especially when you have a polling average as close as like one to two points in those two states. And of course, it's all, it, it is in Biden's direction a little bit. Right. Um, it just makes you wonder, like, what are they doing? And that's right. the thing I would caution the listeners about those two states but again like like the political article stated um arizona um good um data for the democrats there and joe biden still does have a 2.4 percent lead i mean it's tightened a little bit but again a couple of conservative polls have come out in arizona right okay week, like rasmussen and susquehanna um which which are basically run by conservatives mm-hmm. so that's kind of brought down the average a little bit but even like before that arizona had closed down to like three and a half okay but i would still say um especially like with that um early vote number um in addition to pretty consistent polling um joe biden is slightly ahead in arizona at this current point in time especially with that with that huge early vote so far. Interesting. Now, Arizona, Sean, do you think the Senate, with based on the polls and stuff you're seeing, the Senate race has anything to do with that? Is that is the president influencing the Senate race? Is the Senate race influencing the sen- the, the president race? Because you know you got a, a hell of a Senate race going on there, and you had the McCains coming out and you know on the side of Biden, but but also they were the former senator. So how does that play into Arizona, if at all? Well, that's an interesting question, and. And I, I mean, I, it, it's hard to say, but I, I'd probably say that Trump is probably dominating the state more than even the Senate race is. Although, I mean, I mean, Mark Kelly is an interesting figure, obviously. I'm, I'm married to Gabby Giffords. And then you have right. Kelly, who's not quite so popular there. So, I mean, obviously, there, there's, that's a factor, obviously. But I still feel like it's Trump and it's the COVID-19 because Arizona had a big spike in COVID-19, especially over the summer. Right. So, I mean, I, I feel like that has probably, that's probably dominating probably the early vote and just the intensity factor there and probably the shift in, in the state's identity. Right. Because it, 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 it has um, strong Republican DNA, but, I mean, even, but been, Starting in 2016, you've seen a little bit of a shift to the Democrats, and then right. 2018, because of Trump, you've seen it. You've seen a senator, um, you've seen a, a Senate seat go to the Democrats, and and now mm-hmm. you're looking like you might have another Senate seat go to the Democrats, a majority Democratic um, congressional delegation, yes, and Joe Biden carrying the state. So it does seem like that Donald Trump, especially. And the Republican brand has kind of shifted Arizona more into a purple state that that um, is competitive for the Democrats to win. And especially when we had COVID-19 really explode there in the way it has. I mean, Arizona right. definitely has 
changed a lot, and it's definitely an interesting battleground state now, I would say. Very interesting. Um, do we have any more? So, okay, so let me go, let me go one by one here. So, Georgia, is, is Georgia now like almost the new Florida or, or with Florida where it's a complete toss-up? Or are you still saying it's got that Republican DNA, it's probably Trump? Or what are we saying with Georgia? Based on all the numbers, the early poll, you know, voting the polls, it looks de- like a dead heat. It still does, and there's been a lot of, like, there's been a few, quite a few polls out earlier this week that showed that yeah, it's basically a dead heat. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, like tied up. I mean, there was a poll out today that showed Trump was ahead by four. So I mean, it's hard to say. I still right. think, I mean, there is strong Republican DNA there. In Georgia, but I continue to be very surprised by by George, Georgia and how it's like really not budged right. at all in terms of the polling and and it's basically dead even in, in the average. Right. Too. Like the polling average is basically tied up. So so just the fact that we're talking about Georgia as, <laughs> right. as completely tied. Yes. I mean that that really still surprises me and i said that last week and i say it again it's a huge surprise right to see georgia the way it is right now it's crazy the early vote in georgia is about 2.3 million so i don't know i mean it's i mean it's it's definitely another big turnout Uh um, state so far and especially in their suburbs but it, it just it just depends on how the suburbs are all voting Right. So now, and I keep seeing, I don't know if you've seen these models. I don't know if these models are biased. I don't know. I've seen basically an analysis that says that if the ter- the higher the turnout, the better it probably is for Biden because there's such an advantage when there's a higher turnout to a Democrat. Is there any truth to that? Does it matter by state? Do we know? I mean, I, I, would, I would agree with that assessment overall. Um, and again, I mean, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it basically does, because, I mean, 2016, I mean, the turnout was a little bit lower than anything Trump get ahead. Right. And you, and you see him get ahead and win because there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm for either campaign, really, but, but especially not for Hillary Clinton. Right. This time around, there, I mean, there does seem to be kind of that anti-Trump enthusiasm, yes. which is kind of what it, what has Biden ahead right now, like even like when you look at the national numbers, which aren't as important as the state by state, but right. even still, you see that, that there's like a strong anti-Trump intensity out there, and people are voting for Biden as a vote against Donald Trump, right? Which is which is how that's going. So, right. So I would say like stronger turnout does definitely um, help Joe Biden. And again, I caution everybody to look into the election day, like 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 check out the reports on election day right. as to how as to how these battleground states look in turnout because that'll I I think that'll really tell the tale because the election day vote will will definitely in Republican areas will be strong. But right. Can Democrats keep that intensity up through election yes. day? Yes. And in turnout, I mean, that could really that could really make or break Joe Biden's campaign. Makes sense. So now, before I open it up, if audience members have questions, 
Is Florida still as much of a toss-up as we said? Is it leaning more Biden? Is it leaning more Trump? And then the Iowa-Ohio question, how are they looking? Well, Florida, yeah, it, it, to, to, to really, to, to just kind of like put it out there, it, it's still as close as it was the last time. It's still, mm-hmm. and again, like I said, it's like a point and a half there in Florida, which again, we, as I've said before on the show, and, and even like, on my, on my um, channels and everything, Florida is usually a percent either way. So, right. I mean, it's hard. I would say maybe Joe Biden has a slight advantage there. I mean, there's a CNN poll and Reuters poll out yesterday that has both, I mean, both had it as a four-point race. So it's really, really um, close there, I would, I would say. Probably a percent to Joe Biden, but, I mean, it's hard to say. Now, to answer your question about Iowa and Ohio, there was some polling out from Iowa this week where Joe Biden was ahead. There was one poll that had Trump ahead. Right. When average it together, it's about 1% to Joe Biden. Interesting. And it's worth, it's worth noting, too, like the early vote is 20% more Democratic in Iowa, too. So the trend lines look good right now for Joe Biden in Iowa. Um, Ohio, there was a Fox poll that put Trump ahead by three. That so did move the average back into Trump. That is actually, Ohio is the only state right now where Trump has a lead in the average. Right. It's only by six tenths of a percent. So, wow. I mean, Ohio is even like basically dead even too, just like Georgia and Florida and Iowa. Yeah, North Carolina, like those states are pretty much just dead even heat, basically. Right. And now, Sean, you know, we don't, this is just a snapshot. We don't know what's going to happen, but it, it seems to me, and look, once I see a tightening, everybody's got shades of 2016. I'm just thinking, well, Trump's just going to win this again. But, I mean, based on everything and the fact Biden's polling at like near 50%, whereas Hillary wasn't, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the fact that Georgia, North Carolina, you know, uh, Ohio, Iowa are in play or at least look to be in play based on the polls. That's got to just be it's got to look like at least bad news for the Trump campaign. No, I would agree. And I even brought this up, like even though these states are like close, there there isn't other than Ohio, like like you go through all these states and he's not leading in any of them. Right. And I think that that should be a concern. And it, and 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 I even said too, like where what states are we talking about right now? And right. We're talking about like we're still talking about Iowa, which voted for Trump by nine percent. Right. Georgia, which voted for Trump by like five or six percent, or Ohio, which voted for Trump by eight percent. Like you're still talking about those states. And then, like, we're even, like, like throwing out wild cards like, like Texas. Right. So, you know, when you're talking about, like, states like that, like, you just know that, that Trump is behind in this race. And, and that's what I say. Like, I, I, I even say, like, you know, these margins are tightening in these swing states. The, the trend line still shows, like, like, Trump is not leading in basically a single state average except for now Ohio. So, right. So, I mean, that just shows, like, how much defense he's playing, and especially with this cash um, issues to Joe, in comparison to Joe Biden. That's, that's definitely shows he's, he's behind. And, and, and I 
don't see that really changing going into election day. It just, again, just all depends on election day turnout. Right, makes sense. And you see these big crowds Trump has at his rallies, but I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's indicative because I don't know that people voting for Biden, like you said, they're more voting against Trump. So they're not necessarily going to be going around with Biden flags and going to Biden rallies. They're just going to go vote. So I don't know that his rallies really make a difference per se. We'll have to wait to Election Day to see if the turnout is so much that it that it overtakes this early Democratic lead. And that remains to be seen. Right. Right. So now, does anybody have questions for Sean? Put a, put asterisks and, and put it in the chat here. Um, and I want to be able to ask him because some people requested that I that I do that this time around. So if you have a question for Sean, you know, put it in the chat. I'll ask him live and he could relay it to you. Now, since you guys wanted the questions, make sure you come through with some questions now and you put me on the spot. You put Sean on the spot. Give me some questions. Um, Sean, at this. Oh, you will. You, and you never I've never given you a question, which is impressive, which is why a lot of people are impressed with you. When I throw you a question, I could pull something that we haven't talked about. That's not necessarily on the radar about a state that no one talks about. And you just come right out with it. And while we're waiting on questions from the audience, here's what I want to ask you about. Nevada. What's going on with Nevada? It seems like what I've seen is that Nevada has usually contra even in 2016, apparently, contrary to the rest of the, especially the Rust Belt states, it actually had a, the polls had more of a Republican slant, and Hillary carried it by more than the polls said. Trump thinks he can be competitive there based on some inroads with Hispanic voters, based on new registration, based on a lack of a Biden buying ground game. Has, what do you see Nevada doing right now? Is Nevada in any way up for grabs, or is that like Minnesota where Trump's just kind of throwing stuff out there and it's not really feasible? What do you see in there? Makes sense. So now I got I got a couple questions. So first question is, you know, Texas was overwhelmingly went for Trump in 2016, and it, the polls make it much closer now. 
Is the fact that the polls in Texas closer now, does that say that the elections really legitimately swung, not just in Texas, but in general? Or are there really these hidden Trump voters that right now even aren't coming out and saying they're voting for Trump? But even in Texas, they're going to come out and Texas is going to revert back to what it was. And when I ask that question, too, um, you know, part of it is, you know, is is Texas really swinging? Is that stuff really swinging? Is there... You know, because I think Texas was polling for Trump back then, too, and now all of a sudden it's close. You know, and and back to that, what, what I meant to say, too, and sorry, Sean, I got a little sidetracked. But, um, but with this 50 percent, 48 percent thing, does that say anything about it? I mean, because remember, like you brought up, and I think people got to know that Hillary and Trump were polling like 45, 43, 42, 46. And now it's more like 50, 43. But anyway, specifically with Texas, to this person, this listener's question it's so much closer now. Is it closer because it, the race is really changing, or is it because there's these hidden Trump voters that are even more shy now in Texas? I mean, what do you think? Well, I'll, I'll put it out there. Actually, I give Beto O'Rourke a lot of credit for what he's done in Texas, because I definitely do think he's kind of awoken um, the Democratic Party in, in the state. And I definitely do think he has the state definitely more to the left, I would, I would say, after his 2018 Senate run. Mm-hmm. And even though he lost by like 2%, you know, it is worth noting that he only lost <laughs> right. the Texas rates by 2%. Um, he did really get out there and he really ran a grassroots campaign and reached a lot of Democratic voters in right. the state. And they kind of stuck with him and, and he did endorse the, the Joe Biden campaign um, pretty like right after the or I, I forget if it was right before or right after Super Tuesday right which really helped Joe Biden as well I think Joe Biden ended up carrying Texas right um, by a small percentage to Bernie Sanders so so I bet your work actually deserves a lot of credit because I do think that he has swung the state more competitively. But I do think, again, Texas is another one of those states which had a, a big COVID um, right. explosion in the summer. And I do think that, that, especially with how Donald Trump looked, it did really close the race. Now, there could be some hitting Trump voters, and I will concede that. And I would still expect Donald Trump to win the state by a couple of points right. in the end. But it's not going to be what he wanted by in 2016, I don't think. I think it's going to be about what Ted Cruz won the state by in 2018, which is about 2 to 3 percent. It's not going to be much at all, and especially with that huge explosion of, of an early vote so far. I mean, it, it just feels like Texas is a lot closer than it was, but I'm still not positive that, that Biden has enough to, to get over the top there. Makes sense. So you're saying basically there is a genuine shift in voting and part of it's attributable to Beto O'Rourke, but there are maybe, maybe not hidden, but just generally the polls are close and you think Republicans are going to come out on top because that, I mean, it's still Texas and we're not quite there yet, right? Right. Yeah, it is still Texas. Makes yeah. sense. Okay. So now I have another question from the audience here. Uh, Sean's stats are top-notch, as is his breakdown. But the reality is I can see no way Trump does better than he did in 2016. And Biden is a much better candidate than Hillary. Biden people cannot openly declare without threats of violence. Discuss. 
Um, so I guess the listeners asking, you know, there's no way Trump can do better than he. It, it, let me ask you this, and I think this is what he's getting at. And correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, because that was Rick's question. Um, and Rick, can you, if you, you can, while we're asking this, clarify on the violence thing, because Sean and I will discuss it, but I want to see what, what you mean by that. But, but first question is, you know, he's saying there's no way Trump could do better than 2016. Is that true? Is there anything to this new voter registration? I, I personally think that maybe there are people who didn't even vote or were scared to vote for Trump. And, but now that he's in, maybe became fans. I don't know how many people there are. I tend to think he's always had a ceiling, Trump. It looks like his approval ratings and his base has stayed consistent for all four years, which is less than the majority of the country. It's just these hardcore followers. He's saying there's no way he could do better than 2016. The only thing that could happen is Democratic apathy is just as low as 2016 or you know Democratic turnout doesn't quite make it. I mean, is there any truth to that? Is, is, has Trump had any chance of expanding or building upon his 2016 thing? Or is this still the same race? He has his core base. There's this definite ceiling. And it's all about whether Democrats can turn people out or not. I mean, what do you think on that? Well, to answer that question, it's, I would say just looking at like how he's campaigned and even how he's governed as, as the president, he hasn't done anything to me that, that would suggest that he's trying to expand his base. And I don't know, like, I mean, and you even see that, like, in the national numbers, where mm-hmm. he has not expanded his numbers at all. And, in fact, like, after COVID-19 hit, it seemed like some people, especially, like, the seniors that were with him in, in 2016, some of them peeled away. Right. And are now starting to support Joe Biden more. Right. And, and even like some of those um, white voters without a college degree, you're seeing that Trump's still winning by a big margin with them, but not by as much as as as, as he was winning them in 2016. Right, right. But I feel like again, like I mean, it, I, again, I think it's pandemic related, but it 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 doesn't look to me that he's expanded his base at all. It, it seems like. If anything, it, it shrunk a little bit. So Rick's definitely correct that, that I mean, what what would keep Trump in this is, is if there's like a huge drop off. If if he if um if I'm understanding him correctly, yes. if there's like a big drop off in in Democratic turnout, like especially on election day, which is what I keep warning everybody is that right. watch the election day numbers and see if turnout continues to be as huge as it is now. Right. Um, if there's like that big drop-off and, and just kind of like that voter apathy, I mean, that would probably be, be like, that would probably be Trump's biggest um, um, benefit. Right. There would be, would be if that happened. Right. Because it doesn't, it, I mean, he's right. It doesn't look like he's expanded his base at all. And he's done nothing, in my opinion, that, that would suggest that he has expanded his base. Makes sense. So Rick was right on the first point. Second point he wanted to bring up was just like he's saying generally, you know, you see more what looks like Trump enthusiasm because, you know, they they, you know, they put the signs out. They're more enthusiastic. And, you know, Biden people apparently where he is in Arizona, I don't know if it's like that in Pennsylvania. It's obviously not like that in Jersey. But, you know, if they put out Biden signs or they try to rep Biden, you know, they get basically get harassed or the the signs get torn down etc i don't know if it's going on on both sides 
But do you think that plays at all into the enthusiasm gap, the perceived enthusiasm gap? It looks to me, Sean, like we're not seeing this enthusiasm gap when it comes to early voting. It looks like the enthusiasm is just as high on the Democratic side. Right, it is. And again, I think the enthusiasm that you're seeing from the Democratic side is more, again, of an anti-Trump right. enthusiasm as, as opposed to as opposed to pro-Biden. Right. But Donald Trump's supporters, yes, they're with him, and they're, they're like hardcore supporters. Like, they're really fervently behind his, his administration and everything he's doing. Right. I mean, and, I mean, you can debate whether or not he's actually living up to his promises, but, but his supporters really are, are just gung-ho about him. Right. So, yeah, there, I mean, it, there, it does definitely seem like, I mean, by the rally sizes and everything else, I mean, he does have his enthusiasm out there. Like, his core supporters are mostly still with him, even if he did lose a point or two because of the, the COVID. Right. Like, he still has 40% or 42, 43. I mean, he's still, like, in the low 40s. And, and notice that, that even, like, when stuff looks really bad for him, he still has at least two-fifths of the country that say they openly support him and approve of what he's doing. Right. And it just doesn't look like that. I mean, it doesn't look like that they're ever going to leave aside, and they will come out and vote for sure. So, I mean, that's also kind of what's keeping Trump in the game, but I do feel like still that, that he needed to expand beyond yes. that, that 40 to 45 percent, and I just don't think he was successful. Makes sense. I think that could come back to hurt him. So, Sean, last question, and Rick, you can clarify this if you can. Rick's saying that right now Texas is 46.8% to 46.3% in favor of Trump, but I would say we don't have any data on what candidate they voted for. He must be talking about party, but then that doesn't seem to account for independents. Independents seem to be leaning towards Biden a little, but say Texas right now, say, say hypothetically, it was almost evenly divided, but Trump was winning by a few percentage points. That would look like it brings home what you were saying earlier, right? Because turnout on election day is definitely going to favor Republicans, at least to some extent. It looks like Texas may be close, but Trump may still eke it out. It, assuming those were the numbers, it looks like that, right? Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Because I don't think, you know, and I'm listening. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I would, I would just say that, that I mean, Texas, it, it, would just take, it would just take a lot right. to really put Biden over the top. But, but I mean, that, that um, polling average is definitely extremely close. And right. I will acknowledge that. And that early vote is also just completely just, just off the charts. I mean, I've never seen anything like that from Texas. Right, right. And I said Rick was saying his his point was the difference between Hillary and Trump. I guess it's just... Texas is so much closer now. I bet he wasn't even talking about the polls. He's talking about the likelihood, like we're talking about, that Hillary wasn't even within striking distance of Texas, and Biden is damn close when you look at the polls and stuff. It just, he's saying that changes. Obviously, Biden is polling much better than, obviously, Trump's hit his ceiling, and Biden is surpassing Hillary's ceiling. I think he's what he's saying, and Texas is a good example, which I think we would agree on, right? Absolutely, yes, and and you just wonder like if Trump even, or not Trump, but if Joe Biden even made like more of a play for Texas than he is, I mean, just wonder if it would be different at all or not. Right. I really don't know the answer to that question, but it's, 
worth definitely pondering. Right. Makes sense. That all makes sense. Um, so, all right, Sean, that was an awesome analysis. I want to open up for phone calls now, and I want to see maybe Deeds and maybe Rick will call in because one of them's in Arizona and one of them's in Texas, so maybe they'll give us some insight to what they see. But awesome analysis. I mean, and as of right now, I'm assuming you're still saying as of now, the way the polls look, it's looking like Biden's ahead and he's more likely to win. I would, I would say so, and I still have the electoral map a little above 300. So I think about 305 is where I still have it. But I'll, I'll let you know next week if you bring me back on. I'll probably give you my final prediction since this is going to be the final week. Well, you're definitely coming back next week. I have Hold on. I have one more question because this this guy's one of your bigger one of your bigger listeners. So he... He wanted to ask this question. I think it's a good question, though, especially because it's Pennsylvania and you're in Pennsylvania. Do you think, based on what you're seeing, that the the turnout in the Philadelphia area, do you think the increase, A, because I don't know. I know Detroit and Michigan was a suppressed turnout compared to prior elections. I don't even know if Philadelphia was a lesser turnout. You maybe can tell me. But is the increased turnout in Philadelphia and its suburbs going to be enough to counteract any increases Trump might have made in rural Pennsylvania? And if it's not Philadelphia, is there another area? Like, are those urban turnout numbers and suburban numbers going to be enough to counteract what Trump might be turning out newly in the rural areas, you know, based on what you're seeing in Pennsylvania? I mean, how's that looking? Well, I would say that I mean, the, the, real, the, the real area to watch is, like, the suburbs and how they vote. Right. Because um, it was pretty, 2016 was definitely close in, in the Philadelphia suburbs. Right. Or, I, mean, I, I mean, Clinton won a few of those counties, but not by a whole lot. Right. And, yes, there was a lesser turnout in the Philly area. So okay. I, that is definitely worth watching. But, but where Trump really made his gains in 2016 was again that Lehigh Valley area. It, it's like an area I'm watching very closely, and that includes like Allentown, that includes Granton and Wilkes mm-hmm. there. And then in western Pennsylvania, out by me, you you see an eerie flip over to the Republican. Right. And like Trump made huge gains there, and that's why I say Granton in the east, Erie in the west. Right. I think that that's really where it's going to come down to to really see where. Pennsylvania is because because you kind of will get a feeling just how the whole state's going it, once you see the returns out of out of the out of Scranton and Erie and where and where they're very right. Behind. Do we have any polls out of those suburbs and those areas yet specifically or no? We're just kind of waiting. Or or do you think maybe well, they're already showing up in the state polls, which are showing Biden with a lead? What do you think? Well. The morning, the morning call poll, um, interestingly, did kind of break down into, into that a little bit. I don't remember the exact numbers, but mm-hmm. the suburbs are going for Joe Biden by about 20, 25 points right now. So that's quite a big a, advantage. Um, I didn't, I mean, North, they did poll Northeast Pennsylvania in general, which I do think, I mean, part of the T is included because Trump does have a lead out there. Right. And, and like, just in general, like it's, they didn't say Lehigh Valley, it just said Northeast. Right. I don't know what that means. They have Philadelphia polls in there as an area. They have Allegheny polls mm-hmm. as an area. Then they have like Northeast and then the Philly suburbs and then the rest of it. 
So I mean, it's really hard to say like what you what the Lehigh Valley shows. Right. But I mean, in general, like like Trump is up big in the in in Northeast Pennsylvania, but is trailing um, by a lot more in the Philly suburbs than he did in 2016. Makes sense. And even like in and even in Allegheny County, like he's he's actually further behind than he was in 2016. So it just kind of shows you where it's at right now. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a ton of sense. That was very enlightening, actually, for Pennsylvania. I think that was. That answered the question. It also answered some of my just existential questions about PA, so that was helpful. So you're definitely coming back next Friday. I mean, that's the final final rundown before the election. Uh, you know, I'll probably have you on the following Friday, too, just to, no matter what happens in the election, to either kind of, you know, dissect the autopsy if, if the, the polls were wrong or we were wrong, or to go over and kind of have, a, you know, a dissection of the positive analysis if we were right. So... We got another week to analyze. I think within the week we should see by next Friday if the debate has had any influence, if Trump's you know backbreaking schedule of campaigning has had any difference, etc. So we look forward to that. This was enlightening. Thanks again for coming on. Again, you got a lot of listeners. I think it's at a point where even when the election's over, we're going to have to find some other role here because you're definitely uh, a big contributor. I really appreciate you coming through every week for me and coming on the show. It's a huge contribution, so I really appreciate it, brother. Coming on. I, I thank you for having me. No problem, Sean. You're an awesome dude. So uh, stay safe, man. Stay healthy. Enjoy the week, and we will see you next Friday, brother. Sounds good, Larry. You have a good week, too. All right, later, Sean. Bye. All right, later. And that was the esteemed Sean Bracken with just the, the thing he said about Philly was just interesting at the end. I mean, Pennsylvania and Philly. So Trump is definitely doing worse than he was in 2016 and Biden so far doing better than Hillary did. That's just in polls, though. We don't really quite know um, how it's going to turn out in the end. I do want to wrap up uh, relatively soon because I got some stuff to do in the morning, but I do want to take calls. So if anybody wants to call, give me a shout. I definitely want to take calls uh, right now. You know the number. It's 973-536-2530. Um, don't disappoint if you're somebody who usually calls, you know, Rick, you know, if you got something to say, give a call. And here we go. Logic and Larry podcast. Who do we have on the air? It's Rick. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that, but I just wanted you to make an entrance. So Rick in Phoenix, what's up? Uh, too many things, man. And now you're talking about wrapping up. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to do about that. Now I don't even want to talk to you. I just kind of want to say, hey, what's going on with you? <laughs> oh, stop. So... Listen, what what was – if there's one thing – first of all, let, let me ask you a question before we even go into anything else because I'm genuinely curious. You're in like one of the primary battle swing counties of the country right now, right in the thick of it. Do you have any insight in terms of what you've seen on the ground? Is there more Democratic enthusiasm than you've seen in the past? Is there more anti-Trump enthusiasm than 2016? Is the Senate race making a difference? Is there anything we can glean from you being on the ground over there in terms of how that race might be going in Arizona? Because, you know, you have your ear to the streets, even the news, the polls that are more local. We're curious about Arizona right now. It's all going towards Mark Kelly, and there were a couple things I was going to talk about regarding that. Yeah, um, let's talk about it. The first being that um, my wife's boss is 
a registered Republican, both of them are the vice president and, and president of the company. Right. They are both voting Biden. Interesting. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. So they're done. But the VP, she brought a, a flyer that she got in the mail. It's a holographic image of Mark Kelly in his spacesuit, right? <laughs> when you turn it, it's one of those things where you tilt. Right? Yes, yes, it yes. It goes, it goes from him in the space shuttle to him and uh, President Xi of China. Yes. Right? And, and the other side of it is all in Chinese, and it says, vote for McSally. Wow. What? Yeah. What? The colossal amount of money that that must have cost. Right. I mean, it's heavy card stock. It's got that hologram image. They're fucking desperate, man. And and you got to remember, McSally lost to cinema. I, I, yes, I was going to bring that up. So tell us about that, Rick. Tell us about this McSally. I don't think a lot of my listeners know that. I only discovered it last week. Who is McSally and where does that come from? Tell us that. Who is uh, shouldn't even be in government anymore, but she mm-hmm. is because um, she was appointed. So she was in a race versus Cinema. This was when John McCain was still alive, right? right. So sh- she was in a race against Kristen Cinema, who was the first openly bisexual. And honestly, Cinema, in for all intents and purposes, wasn't independent. She wasn't a Democrat, but she knows that that's where it's at, and that's the game you got to play, right? Right. And. So she ran, and McSally was soundly beaten by her, right? Right. So was that Jeff Flake's spot? That was uh, two years ago. I think McCain died right when his uh, next term was starting. Okay, 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 got it. So so she lost to cinema, but then our fantastic governor, Governor Ducey. (laughs) Ducey? Ducey? He, uh... You know, I, I don't know if you saw that news clip that I posted, but he absolutely made fun of Joe Biden's stutter when Trump was here. Yeah, I did see that. Yes, I did. He yeah. was the guy. Okay, he's the one who made what fun of Biden's did? stutter. And then he goes, oh, I didn't do that. That's not what I was doing. Really? Wow. They always say like, that's not what they're doing. Right. It's like, obvious and evident. Right? You, yes. You didn't just go, Joe Biden. <laughs> right. right? That was just a big <laughs> on your part. Right. Right. Unbelievable. Honestly, unbelievable. Honestly, juvenile. Honestly. That fucking guy is our governor. He appointed McSally when John McCain passed. Okay. He lost the cinema. Despite losing, she's a... Got it. So so right now, McSally is the incumbent because she lost the other Senate race. And then when McCain passed away, he appointed her to take McCain's spot, despite the fact that she already lost an election for Senate for the other seat. That's correct. Okay. So now she's running against Kelly. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Got it. Now. And and these ads that came out just... uh, shocked me, right? I, I mean, right. when my wife brought them home from her boss, because they only went after Republicans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was just like, that's a lot of money, right? That, it that's is, how yes. how desperate they are to hold on to Congress. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and now, tell, now, Kelly, I think most people know who he is, but give us some background, just because it's local to you. I think we mostly know him, but, but tell us a little bit about him, and obviously from an Arizona uh, this perspective. This is the interesting part. So, so Kelly... I've just been watching his ads, and I've been looking him up, and I'm, you know, I'm reading about him, and he was a combat pilot. Mm-hmm. He was in 
the, the service, and he was an astronaut, and he's just a decent guy, mm-hmm. right? And, and then, I just, I mean, it was like less than a month ago, probably, he, he was, he's married to Gabby Gifford, the... Right. Repo, uh, the, she was shot in Tucson. Yes, in yes, oh yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So I didn't know that, and he doesn't use that at all. I didn't know he was married to her until Sean mentioned it, and then you did. I didn't know he was married to her. I think vaguely, Rick, like I remember that he was, but it didn't come up because I guess because he's not using it, and it's not really in the media, which is admirable. Yeah, he does, yes, he doesn't use it. He doesn't go, my wife was shot in the face, but right. he does use it, McSally. She's like, oh, Kelly wants to take your guns because his wife was shot in the face. Wow. Like, oh, wow. And he's not even using it. Wow. Wow. So now, how do you see... So, those two people that are executives in your wife's company, did they vote for Trump initially, or did they just not vote? Do you know? They they voted for Trump in... Wow. So now they're voting for Biden. They're Republicans, and now they're both like... I mean, it's like ridiculously like, fuck that guy, he's a piece of shit. Wow. Regarding Trump. Same, same with Mark Kelly. They're like, McSally, no. She can get the hell out. She has no business being there in the first place. So now, does it look like, is that a general sentiment or vibe that you're feeling in, in your area, which is one of the most important counties in the country, that that there may be a real chance of it flipping here, that people that not only were Republican but actually voted for Trump are switching to Biden? Not, not necessarily in record numbers, but do, are you feeling the momentum there or what? There, there absolute, there's absolutely uh, a shift. I'm not, you know, I'm not an optimistic guy. Right, right. But, but I see it, you know what I mean? I see it. There's no way that McSally is beating Kelly in any way that I can see across the board. I, I don't understand how Trump could possibly win. I mean, Hillary lost by 91,000 votes. Right, right, right which is super unpopular. Here. Yes, yes, super unpopular. Yes, and and I give a lot of credit to the people. I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show before, but uh, when I go to hockey games, mm-hmm. right, and it's the Blackhawks versus mm-hmm. the Coyotes, mm-hmm. I feel outnumbered. The the fans from Chicago are right. Packed. Yes, packed. it's like I'm in Chicago. I have family out there, even from Long Island. I don't remember what city in Arizona, but but I understand that. It's another... People, especially back east, because Florida is such the focal point of retirees, sometimes forget Arizona is another... It's like in the west, Arizona is that, where Florida is here, with all these people from Chicago and things. Interesting insight with a hockey game. So just like in Miami, the Dolphins fan, you go down there, there's all these Patriot fans and Jets fans and Bills fans. Out there, there's a lot of Chicago fans. So you're saying there's been an influx of people from other areas into Arizona, too, especially your area. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you sell your house in Chicago for, you know, $1.2 million and it's 1,500 square feet. Right. If you come here and buy four times that size house for half a million dollars and still have a half a million dollars banked, right? Right. So it's, it's really a no-brainer. I mean... Yes, it's hot as fuck in the summer, but we but we have air conditioning. Yeah, and it's also a dry heat, right? It's not humid like out here, is it? 
No, it's, it's not nasty like out that, here. Yeah, at all. yeah. No, <laughs> right. We get to, we get to like fourteen percent humidity. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. See, that's nuts. Right now, Rick, just so you know, it's cool <laughs> out. It's like sixty five, but it's eighty percent humidity. I had to put the air conditioning back on because it's so sticky in my apartment. So, so yeah, yeah. yeah I can see the appeal. It's kind of the same thing. It's sort of different because right. you know, like like fifty five, sixty degrees in Washington State is mm-hmm. comfortable. Yes. But if it's fifty five here, it's it's cold. Right, right, right. It's like this dry, cold, like desert. I don't know anything about it. I've only been to Vegas once. I want to go out there. You're gonna visit me. I'm gonna visit you. But I heard it's like it's like cold though out there when it's cold, and at night it gets cold. I hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right now it's dropping down into the high forties. Right. It, yeah, it's cold. It's yes, cold. interesting. I mean, for us, I mean, but it's been a hundred and. 100 degrees for forever now, like seven months. Right, so so obviously relative, it gets friggin' freezing. Um, That makes sense, and that's that's interesting to hear about Arizona because, you know, it's kind of funny when when I'm looking at these polls and these national analyses and whatnot, it seems like it's so crazy. It's like it's it's been a Republican state forever. It seems like the the analysts and the talking heads are almost acting like Arizona's blue already. It's kind of... It's interesting to hear from you that it seems like the sentiment's leaning that way from somebody on the ground, too. It's just its just so interesting. Yeah. I'm not surprised, but it's interesting. I can't. Go ahead. No, I say I'm not surprised, given everything you've said, and just if you know anything about different states like you and I do, because we're curious people, it's not necessarily yeah. surprising, given Arizona's DNA and the migration and the general, like, urban, you know, intellectualism over there that in the moderation yeah. that we've seen, but it's still kind of crazy that we're just acting like it's almost a foregone conclusion, given that it's been read for so long. Well, I mean, you know, Bill Clinton won Arizona, too. Right. So, right, so it's not that. Cr- that's, that's a white guy, so you know we're still kind of racist. Makes sense. <laughs> makes it's it's horrible reality that we can make light of, but yes, it's true. Um, so what else? What else we need to talk about? We need to talk about uh, coyotes, right? Yes. Let me. Yeah. Let's. So Rick, I'm watching. It's so. Okay, so I'll, let me tell you the backstory because people are gonna listen later. So I. When I saw the debate, I hear him say coyotes, this and that. My first reflexive instinct is when he first said it was he was making some gesture that people who bring kids are like predatory coyotes. That's the first time. Second time he said it again. Then I said, is he talking about like coyotes? And I said, no, deductive reasoning. That's a term of some sort, a term I'm not familiar with. Let it go. Didn't even think about it. Today, somebody posted the kid from... The Parkland shooting in Florida. What's the kid's name? Uh, the prominent kid who speaks out against guns and stuff. Yeah, I can't remember. Dylan, that. something maybe Fog Hog, David Hog, something like that. Yes. Yes. That's close. Yes, close, close, right? So he he had come out on Twitter, I guess, and said, "How dare the president compare parents to dogs or whatever?" And then everybody was just. And then they, they, you know, they screenshotted a bunch of tweets from a bunch of people who obviously didn't know what the term was and thought that Trump was associating parents with animals. And the person who posted this was like, what an idiot, everybody's stupid. How do you not know that term? And I actually commented, because you know me, I'm honestly, as much as people might think, I'm pretty honest if I don't know. So I was like, I didn't know, to be honest with you, but I didn't say anything because I thought I suspected I'd be made a fool of if I did. You know the term. Talk to me about the term. I'm not familiar. My dad was. I don't know how. That's a term, I guess. What what what's what goes into that? Yeah. So okay. So coyotes are these people that move bodies across the border, 
And the reason they're coyotes is the coyote out here is kind of a scavenger. Right? Yes, yes. And so it, it has a dual meaning. Yes, they, they're crafty and they can sneak you across the border. Sometimes, though, mm-hmm. they'll pack a, let's say, a semi-truck yes. right, full of illegals. And right. they'll just disconnect the fucking trailer. Yes. And paid. And these people will all, if they can get out of the trailer, because there have been trailers found with a lot of people in them. Oh, I know, yes. You know what, Rick, speaking of that... I've, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where you pick up on it, but you don't know anything. Like I don't know anything, but I've seen those stories like randomly, like vaguely. I remember hearing about that. So go on. That's interesting. Yes. So, so, that, so the the idea is that you pay them a certain amount of money. They'll smuggle you across the border, and and put you in a secure location. Let's say mm-hmm. now, uh, I know that that is true because when I lived years ago. Uh, 30, I don't know, 33, 34 years old. I lived out in Mesa, which is a suburb of Phoenix Mm -hmm. in the East Valley. And three houses down from me, that house was purchased. And every Friday, Mm -hmm. there would be this like loud party music, right? And it was all Mexican music. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. in the East Valley at that point. Mm -hmm. And I'm normally West Side. Mm -hmm. And, but, what it turns out was that that house was a lady who was in uh, cahoots, for lack of a mo- more modern term. Mm-hmm. She she took these people that the coyotes brought across into her home for a fee, right? And kept them until they could find gainful employment and or lodging. And wow. so every week or a couple weeks, there would be a brand new group of people there. Interesting. Were being brought in. So. So this coyote thing works in two ways. One is they just, you know, fuck these people and drop them off in the middle of the desert to die, or they actually get them across and then they make their way however they can until they can either get legal citizenship or just employment and hide under the radar. Interesting. That's what a coyote is. Yes, but it's, so it's it's relative. It's known over there. I mean, you're in a border state, and this is a known oh, term. Yeah, yeah, it's well known. Interesting. Let me ask you this. Because you're in that that area and, and we know that a lot of those areas in the southwest, one of the craziest things I remember I was in law school and it was profound because I remember learning we were learning about how like the English language was forced in education on certain people and this and that, and I was thinking to myself initially well, if you immigrated here, then why wouldn't you have to learn English, this and that? Not saying it would be mandated or we would ever have an official language, because I don't agree with that. But I was like, well, people, because I'm thinking in New York, New Jersey terms, like, well, everybody I know who speaks a different language came here voluntarily, you know, to immigrate. And they were like, well, no, you're not, you're not looking at it right. You know, in the Southwest, people have lived there for centuries who are Spanish speaking, and we annexed it. And I was like, oh, it makes a lot more sense. What you're th- Like, people have been speaking Spanish in Arizona and New Mexico forever, and we annexed it. What's the sentiment there? Is it a mixed sentiment? I mean, that this is, you got coyotes going on, but you just have this culture there that's this border culture that people from New Jersey don't know that damn thing about. You know, what is it like? You're right, because New Jersey, you don't have, like, natural-born Italians that live there. Right. They're all from somewhere else. Right. But there were Mexicans and Native Americans that actually lived here. Right, right. Before the annex, and they didn't go back to Mexico. Right. Yes. It's it's not even a... I mean, 
I, I would say there's a, a little bit of prejudice, uh, prejudice uh, regarding Mexicans overall. Right. But not, but not really. And again, going back to my Chicago example, a lot of that, a lot of the transplants are the ones that brought the prejudice. That I grew makes up, sense. They, that was just everyday life. It, right. It was a mixed culture. It wasn't. Right. It was never like. What are you doing here? They, they were always here. <laughs> right. Yes, because that's their native land in a lot of ways. So that's yeah. something I've been fascinated with, right? Because, you you know, it's so interesting. You read these articles and these interviews and things about these border towns. I mean, some some towns in Texas and things, actually the town itself is half in Mexico and half in the United States because the borders are fabricated in some ways and the towns have been there yeah, yeah, so you have it in Arizona too. So predating the American annexation of the land, there was just a settlement there that spanned both. It seems like your culture is so ingrained with that and these artificial walls. I mean, I guess I've seen some advocates. It's so interesting because I've seen advocates like on the news, like I, I want to put the wall up to keep them out because they're in my backyard. And then I've seen people who are like, how dare you put a wall up because I've lived like this forever. And all different races too. I guess it's like I just find it interesting that people in Washington, D.C. and other places and in the, the Rust Belt and whatnot, there are plenty of – migrants in those states because they've traveled but it seems interesting that they want to dictate to you guys down there that you need a wall when it's your culture and you've been living with it for so long i don't know what's your yeah. thoughts on that it's just interesting no we don't need a wall it's it's been that way since i was a kid and and before i was a kid it just it's the way it is and the thing that separates like let's say arizona and new mexico from texas right right we didn't have an alamo Right, but right. Even if, you, even if you dig into that, that was those people pushing. Uh, so Mexico invited people to come and live in Texas before, while, while it was still Mexico's, right? Yes. And they're like, yes. Yeah, come here, settle, build up the land. But you have to be, I believe it was like, you have to be Catholic and you have to follow Mexican law. Right, right. right. And, and you get free land. Yes. And people were like, yeah, let's do that. Let's go there. And then at some point, I can't remember which president it was back then, but it wasn't even the president, it was the general in Texas was like crossing over and, and going, yeah, let's not, let's not do that anymore. We don't have to fuck Mexico. We don't have to obey their laws. Right. And it's ours now, which is where the Alamo actually is, right? Right. And that's what started the war was right. that the settlers at one point went, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. The Americans, and you can go fuck yourself. Right. And so then Santa Ana was like, well, I've got an army that says otherwise. And now Texas, so Texas has this giant chip on its shoulder, like, oh, the Alamo, rah. Right. So we started that shit. That's interesting. That's that's very interesting. All of that shit. That's very interesting. And, And finally got presidential approval, and then there was the wars, and then it all passed through New Mexico, Arizona, California, and then finally we were. You know, after the whole Zorro thing, we were all like, yeah, we'll just pay for it and let's call it a, a draw. Right. So, but right. So that and my buddy Joe, who's in Boston now, but he lived in New Mexico over the last couple of years. He's a football guy, so he's down there. He said that. He yeah. said. Larry, it's the craziest thing. He said, you know, down here it's so different because 
Now, I haven't been there, so it's hard for me to maybe convey, but I think you'll get it because he was trying to convey it to me. It was like it's just a different mentality down here where there's a lot of Native American, you know, Hispanic, Mexican sentiment. It's just a different vibe altogether because it's still like relatively fresh and new. And it's this land that we annex where people are already here. And it's just a different feel than up in the Northeast where all the unfortunately most of the native population is, is gone and moved. It's so different down here because it's so new. I just think it's interesting, you know, how we try to dictate and these sentiments of people in the north and, and other places that are prejudiced or want to build a wall or whatever don't even understand the give and take of the cultural aspects where you are. And that's just a profound, yeah. interesting thing. You know, my, my understanding is that most people don't even want the wall down here. We're like, that's stupid. It's, it's causing problems. I mean, look, I... Uh, my wife and I went to Mexico in February. Right, right. We walked right across the border. There was no check. There was no, like, who are you? Right. Yes, no, right. Just, we walked in. I'm like, that's it? I'm like, we just walked in. Right, because it's the border. Right. right. And, we're, and we're in? Mexico right. doesn't care if we come there. Right. So we come back, that's when they're like, so what's the deal? And I'm like, what do you mean? And I went to Mexico. <laughs> right. That's a work because it's cheap. And, <laughs> right. You know, I, it was great. And now I'm coming back. They're like, do you have anything in your suitcase? I'm like, no. I, right. I, I got some Mexican ibuprofen. <laughs> right. Right. You know? So interesting. And, and they're like, no, go on through. But, but the fact is I didn't have to show ID going into Mexico. Right. Right. And that's interesting because going into Mexico is like basically going in and out of Canada, which I do know a little bit about it this way. And it's... But, but coming back is, like, impossible. Right. It's yeah. different now. Yeah, because of freaking COVID, which, you know, you can't blame them, can not, you? Not just COVID. No, it, Canada shut down a little bit before where I had to – when I went up there with my buddies, we got stopped, and we had to go through an interview at the border. Well, I, I mean, this is back in the long hair days, right? Right. Where was this? Was this, like, more towards Washington Vancouver. State or Vancouver. Vancouver? Yep. We were We were here, but we drove up to Vancouver. My cousin – who was a lieutenant in the Navy, the U.S. Navy, Right. had moved up there, and he was married to some Canadian, so he's a Canadian now. Oh, but interesting. We were going to visit him, uh-huh. and, and we drove up there, and, and but it was so uh, non-invasive, right? This right. guy, he's like, so a bunch of, a bunch of you long hairs are coming here to visit Canada, right? Right. Are you coming here for our marijuana? <laughs> <laughs> That's I'll hilarious. For your marijuana. <laughs> you guys have marijuana? <laughs> right. I didn't even know you guys did that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the the deal was is that he just uh, two of us didn't have jobs at the time, and mm -hmm. he's like, "How are you traveling from America to Canada without jobs?" Mm -hmm. right? And I'm mm -hmm. like, "Well, my cousin lives here, and we're going to visit him, and it's just, it's like a flop house." Right. Right. <laughs> right. We're just hanging out. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> right, that was okay. it. Right, easy, easy. Yeah, and, and coming back was a little less easy, but not any. You know, they're just like, "Did you guys buy drugs while you were here?" <laughs> like, it's yeah, just a we, typical. We yeah. Before we got to the border, <laughs> man. So it's just more. It's just more easy. It's like a standard question you got to ask, but it wasn't insane. And now they're making it such an issue where you guys, your lifestyle would allow you to go into Mexico and come back if it wasn't for American policy that makes it so restrictive. Yeah. Yeah, right. the, the most questions I got was coming back. And even now, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 55. I've got a wife. We come through with our bags. The guy's like, got anything in your bags? We're like, no. He's like, okay. 
Like I could have had a midget in there. Right, you don't right. You don't even <laughs> know. Right, right, right. You don't know. Right. You don't know. Right. But uh It's interesting. Anyway, it's not it's not the same here. It, it's Mexican has always been part of my culture and the most racist thing I've ever heard here growing up was you don't get to fight the bean, you gotta fight the whole burrito. Which is true, but not in a negative way. You know what I mean? They they, they tend to pal up. I mean, they've got lots of cousins and brothers and whatever, and, and, and they do. Uh, I mean, my brother and I in fifth grade and third grade, that would have been my brother, we had a fight, and there was like six of them versus my brother and I. I could see that. And we'd, yeah, and, we'd, and we beat them down, <laughs> right. and then we were leaving, and they through rocks and like three more of them showed up. I'm like, how is this happening? Right. Well, I, you know, in Jersey, you know, there's so many times we fight each other, but Italians will show up and Spanish people will show up and Asian people will show up. And I think that's just a human thing. So yeah, I could see yeah, it. It's a human thing. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, yeah. That, and that's what it is here. It's a, right. it's a human thing. Mm -hmm. the, the Mexican culture is just part. I mean, I speak a decent amount of Spanish just because I yes. grew up here. Yes. Which is so interesting to me. Yes. Because it's part of your and culture. That's, same with New Mexico, same with Southern California, and same with Texas. But except Texas is just, they're just more belligerent. Make, yes, okay, makes sense, makes sense. And by the way, to Deedzy too, remember he said that like Texans will just like swerve into the road really quick? I forget what state I was in. I think I was in New York. I really think I was in like Long Island. And I'm driving and all of a sudden somebody just swerves. Like maybe I was in Queens. They just swerve in front of me. I don't know what it was a Texas plate. And I was like, DZ told me. But I don't know what it is about Texas, but they just swerve right into the road. I was like, okay, I guess that's how they drive. I don't know. But I guess it's encapsulating their whole personality maybe. I don't know. I've never been. I can't pass judgment. You know better than I do, but interesting. <laughs> No, you're gonna have you're gonna have fun over here. Like your your friend, I don't know what she was trying to pull there with her capicola, gabagool. <laughs> yeah, capicola. You no, know, it's Sicilian. It's eggplant. I'm like, no, you guys just like to appropriate yeah. stuff. Right? Yeah, well, I don't know about it's. I don't think it's 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 eggplant because eggplant's like mulignan. No. It, it's not. I I don't know. That's. No, I, she said capicola. She said capicola is eggplant with a. Uh, uh, what you call it? Olive oil and something else. I'm like, no, you're you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, see, I, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what she was talking. about. I posted an article. I said, you Sicilians, you like to make stuff up. Yeah, I didn't understand that either, and I'm not saying I'm not with Don. So I don't know. I have no clue what the what she was talking about. I know that that skull antipas looked very good with the two olives and the brujute and whatever else was on it. It was good. Hell yeah. I don't know even where she was going with that. I didn't look it up. Sicilians, but right. I know what Gabagool is. And, I, right. and I'm from the Southwest. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I love it. But, Rick, what we got to do is, uh, I think in the next, after the election, I think, because Sean's coming on next week again, but we got to get something where you and I are just on much earlier and we got to talk beforehand about just topics because every time you call, there's just these awesome topics that we talk about. And you're another one. I mean, I, like even when I said special guest Sean, it's like special guest Rick too, because you're always on, and you have fans that listen, which we know. And now people I saw today were listening because of you. So I mean, yeah. you, you, I pretty much count on you to call every week. Anyway, I count on you to call. It's not like a random call anymore. But we got to get you early on too, where we just kind of break down some stuff because I think we, you know, if we had a little bit earlier conversation too, with like an hour long, could get through a lot of cool topics. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't people that know who I am because yeah. that'll just disappoint everybody. Right now I'm kind of like celebrity-ish. Yes, because you, know? you come in and but you... They knew who I really, 
It's like it's like Mel Gibson, right? It's yeah. like once you learn who he really is, you're not so keen on it anymore. <laughs> well, right now you're like a you're an awesome caller that they're like, well, when's Rick gonna come on, and what the hell is he gonna say now with these interesting topics that we go into? It's always an interesting topic, which was interesting today. So yeah, I had, I had a bunch of other points that I had written down on a legal pad just just to keep track. Did you? Well, what were well? What, well, you could even are they are they so much that they're gonna just go in depth only because no, of. That, Okay, you, you said something about uh, people, uh, you know, I didn't even know what it was related to, but I wrote down that, uh, well, I was in the military, right? Mm -hmm. My drill sergeants, you're out in the field, you're out on the, on the range, and they go, you know, you have to say no brass, no ammo when you're showing your open weapon. Uh -huh. And I left my, my shit in my weapon when I broke it down, right? Yes. So the guy's like, come to the office at... 6 p.m. and I don't again I don't remember exactly what you were talking about because it was like two hours ago <laughs> right and uh, and he said um, he's like show up at the office report to me at blah 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 and I'm like okay so I showed up and so there's like my drill sergeant my secondary drill sergeant and the other eight drill sergeants from the other companies right mm -hmm. and I show up and I'm like hey private crap and the guy's like why are you here I'm like you told me to come here <laughs> right and they, and they just all fell out they just all <laughs> So you're talking about the IQ thing with the showing up to court is what you must it must have been that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, why would you show up? Why would you show up at the court? You're stupid if you do that. And that's basically the same thing I got from the drill sergeant. Yes. They, they just laughed. They're like, get the fuck out of here. Yes, but you were doing what you were supposed to do, which is Rick, to be honest, I would do the same thing you did. I would show up because yeah. I just in my nature, like you talk. I'm not – I'll argue with a authority figure if it's deemed necessary, but I'll still show up. Like I'm not going to just shuck my responsibility to anybody, whether it's a, a boss or a, a peer or anything, and that's how you are. And this guy's saying it's low IQ, and I guess they thought that in your, in your company too. But it's like, yo, I was just showing up because you're my commanding officer and you said to. What the hell? It's just funny, but it's like, yeah, we just do that. We're supposed to. We're – Yes, I mean, and that guy was an asshole, and he wasn't even my my drill sergeant, and right. he was. But it was like, oh, they're gonna know. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? mm -hmm. It's the military, right? I'm not gonna escape, even though everybody looks the same. We're all wearing green camouflage, <laughs> right. and our heads are shaved. I mean, right? right? How's he gonna know who I am? He didn't look at my name. True, right? true. Like, uh, and he yelled at me. It's true. And then I showed up, and they're like, oh my god, oh my fucking god. That's so, funny, dude. And, the other small thing is the uh, about the the crime bill, and then right. lots of African Americans supported that. And I I've been talking to a lot of African American friends who are posting that yeah everybody wanted that crime bill, right? And it was exploited, and I posted that in the comments on tonight's feed that you know it it, it was exploited by for-profit prisons. Yes. Just like well, I think it was Clinton as well, right? That passed all the legislation about lowering the requirements to get home loans yes yes it was clinton and then bush doubled down yes yeah. that's what caused the yeah. freaking bubble in the first place yes because because everybody exploited it and they yes. started throwing out they're like oh the government's gonna back that yeah let's give everybody a fucking loan yes and let's increase the prices of the home yes you know, that'll be fucking great yes it was you adjustable know? rate mortgages too so they get in at a good rate and then they adjust it on them overnight and they can't afford it the company gets yeah. bailed out by the government, but the homeowner goes out of business, the bank goes broke, and we have the frickin' recession. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that was something that was exploited. It wasn't Clinton's 
fault. And that's what a lot of a lot of people, especially on the right, say. They're like, that's right. government. Right. Why shouldn't they take advantage of those rules? I'm like, because rules are rules. They're not there to be taken advantage of. Right. And that's the same thing with Trump and his taxes and, and everything else that we're fucking seeing right now. Yes. Right? They're like, well, it's the rules. You know, that's so interesting that you even say that because remember I brought up the, the cages thing too and, and brought it up. It was a rule that was in place to stop human trafficking and it was exploited by the Trump administration to separate people as a general deterrent. Same as you're saying. these th The laws, it's only as good as the input and humans are going to exploit them, which is why we got to A, be careful about what laws we pass, which is why Biden said in hindsight it was a mistake because of what manifested. And B, we got to watch what people we put in charge of things because they can manipulate things and screw it up no matter how good-willed it was in the, at the inception. Yeah, yeah. With, with Obama, it was all about making sure that sex traffickers weren't bringing kids here to traffic, Right. Right? Right. And, and Trump took that and he goes, well, there's no rule against it, which is like his battle cry, right? Yes. Well, there's no law against it. Right. Right, which is right. The, the electoral college people to vote for me even if the vote is against me. Right. right? So interesting. So true, too. So interesting. But great point. Yeah, great points. No, I'm going to go shoot this. <laughs> Dude, you had a great. I hope you got a lot of it out just having this conversation. Because I have a blast on here talking to you. So I hope you know yeah. it's awesome. It's cathartic for me and the listeners, and hopefully you. I don't have a gun, and it's totally cathartic for me as well. <laughs> All right, good. Rick, love you, man. Love you, brother. Like, you're the man. This is an awesome conversation. Every time I talk to you, it's an awesome conversation. I'm exhilarated right now. I'm excited as hell about this conversation because it was just insightful and awesome as usual. I'm yeah. super excited to come there, but your buddy's got to get me a, a room apparently at the airport in whatever it's called. Yeah, well, no, no, no. We're going to link you up somewhere in Newark at a nice room, and you're going to come chill at my apartment. We're going to go down the shore. We're going to go to Atlantic City one night. We're going to go to this New York City. We're going to we're going to go to New York once just because you got to see it if you're over here, but we're going to spend a lot of time in Jersey. Newark, Jersey, yeah. Atlantic City, Asbury Park. We're going to be in Jersey a lot. It's going to be a blast. I'm all Jersey. I'm all Jersey in the heart. Yeah, dude. I, I am not New York. I am Jersey in the heart. <laughs> I love it. We're going to plan that like in the near future. Maybe springtime if COVID dissipates, maybe the following maybe this summer, maybe the that fall, I don't know. You're going to get out here. So it's going to be a blast. So It's only going to be spring cuz I got I got some shit going on and I got some things in the works and I think spring is going to be probably the best time in the That's fine with me. Bad for you. I'll experience Jersey without you. <laughs> no, no, I'll be around, dude. I'll take off a week too. And I'll get all these people's names you see you'll meet them so it won't disappoint either we'll have plenty of good pizza plenty of good beers plenty of you know seedy uh, bars at night and, and back alleyways we'll have some fun so i'm, I'm looking yeah, forward to it brother looking forward to the food and and also to mark manette so oh of course yeah, i'll get him around for sure and i'll have my dad make make some legit food for dinner too out here and you'll love the bread and everything oh, else yeah. so it'll be good so rick love you man i'll talk to you next week for sure because you know you're on the show regardless so we'll all hear from you next week and uh, I'll talk to you soon anyway, brother. All right, brother. All right, later, Rick. Later. Just a great show. You know, I got I to gotta figure out how we're going to do this show because we got so much. I, go, I always say I'm going to go like, oh, I'm going to go an hour and a half. I'm going to go two hours. And then we wind up going three hours because the show's just so damn good. You guys put me in a good mood. It's just so many good callers and so much good insight and input. It's just great. It's just dope. And I love that Rick That insight on the the Arizona thing Was just Really damn Really damn good Just stuff that you don't necessarily um, 
you don't know if you live in different regions of the country that you'll learn about you know when you speak to people from different regions of the country and it's just uh it's good stuff so you know as i always say promote this show rick promoted it we got new listeners we get new listeners every week if you're listening on spotify you know drop us a line share the spotify link if you're listening on itunes share the itunes link uh wherever you are share the link talk to us get involved the show is expanding it's a long road it doesn't happen quickly we know that right it doesn't happen quickly it takes time to transpire but we're building and i'm gonna keep it up as long as you guys will keep it up hold on i got another call so let's see who this call is you are hold on you're on the air here who do we got Damn, bro, what's up? I like how you came on there. It was dope. Deedzy, what's going on, number one? And you know what I want to ask you because I already brought it up um, before. But how are you, brother? It's been a while. It's been a couple weeks. I'm good, brother. I'm actually in line right now at McDonald's. Nice. Nice. Yeah, you're hungry, huh? It's a late night. I got you. You, you got to get some food after uh, after a shift. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. Deeds, what are you seeing in your area regarding, you know, the sentiments of the election? Do you see a lot of Trump stuff? Do you see a lot of people just in the middle? What what are you what are you sensing there? And you're you're outside Dallas, like in those suburbs there. What are you sensing? How do you see it? I'm I'm seeing a lot more Biden and Harris signs, which makes me happy. Interesting. I'm seeing, lot, I'm seeing a lot more of those signs than I was expecting to see, and that makes me happy inside. Because every time I see a Trump sign, I want to pull it out. <laughs> so, so you're seeing? A, is it a lot more than Trump, or is it a lot more than Hillary? Is it a lot more in general? Is it just you're just seeing a lot of them, and it seems like the sentiment's good? I can't. I can't really say if it was a lot more than Hillary because I wasn't uh, the town I'm living in now wasn't the town I was living in down here. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so I can't really say, but I'm. I, I, like, yeah, Bob, maybe. Like, it's just going off a of memory in my head and just what I saw and what I've seen. Um, right. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot more Biden Harris than there was. Thank you so much, you too. A lot more Biden Harris, which is a great thing. Um, I'm sorry, I keep saying that just because I'm in the drive throughs over here. It's fine, bro. I'm talking about Biden Harris. <laughs> No, it makes sense. Well, that's a good sign if you don't want to be bashing Biden-Harris there. That's, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. So, And you told us before about your area. Like, it's like the Dallas area is a little more conservative than like the Houston area and Austin area, right? But like, you talked about like the exurbs and how far like the different towns got more or less conservative, right? I'm, I'm sorry, Larry. You're going to have to repeat some of that because one of these Texas pickup truck I did hear it. I did hear it, dude. I didn't hear about half of what you said. That's so interesting. Bro, I did hear. I was like, what the hell's going on? So I was saying, um, you told us before, like, Dallas in general is a little more conservative than, like, Houston or Austin or something, but um, you broke down, like, the suburbs and the counties, right? Like, it was, like, north of Dallas or something. It got more and more conservative. Like, is your area moderate liberal conservative generally speaking like what kind of area is your area i mean 
my area, and specifically like what I would call like my home front. Yes. Uh, in this town, because this town, Irving's huge. Right. I, just, I, I, I feel like when we're on the highway sometimes, it's just like, shit, we're still in Irving. Right. Um, but the section I live in, I would say it's definitely more liberal. I mean, I have a lot, of, I, I live around a lot of Hispanics. Right. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of African Americans. Right. I don't, I don't know what, the, I thought the right term, and I'm, I, I don't want to get canceled. Uh, so actually, <laughs> I don't even say um, But you live in an area that's more diverse, basically, and there's more people of color there, and in general, it's just a more air, more diverse area, which is more liberal, is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Essentially, and uh, let's let's put it this way: I'm not going to like when I go to when I go to work at uh, at uh, main job. Right. I'm not worried about. Like, I'm not worried about anyone being like, oh, so how about Trump? Yeah, so your area, your general work, and DZ, probably similar to mine, your work environment, where you're around, whatever, is not really like a, a conservative leaning area, period. I mean, you're not, it's not your area. Right. No, I, I, I would say definitely not a conservative leaning area. I mean, like, there, there are definitely conservatives down here. I definitely see Trump signs and whatnot, right. but I, I have a feeling that it, it's a lot more necessary. Maybe, I don't want to say maybe people are scared. Right. But. I feel like as time's gone on, I've seen more and more kind of just like, oh, Democratic-type signs going on people's lawns and stuff, whether it's like, uh, you know, like state senators or congressional or even like, you know, like school board stuff, which I'm not even sure if that, that's probably not even Democrat or Republican. Yeah, a lot of times it's not partisan, but yeah, I hear you. It probably is. Right. Yes, agreed. Like, it's not partisan almost because the party's almost irrelevant in school policy somewhat but like at the local level but it probably is deep down they're probably affiliated with somebody from a party but you don't even realize it that's interesting that's interesting yeah. and I mean uh, but yeah I've definitely seen more democratic uh, uh, yes yeah, I shouldn't say democratic I've seen more democrat signs right uh, right in, in year to this election than I've seen previously very interesting. Very interesting to note. Now, how do you? Are you going to early vote? Are you going to vote on election day? How are you going to do? I early voted, like, and I usually don't, but I just didn't want to deal with it this year. Uh, I will have to talk to you off air about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which is, we'll talk about that. I guess. I guess I'm. I'm guessing some kind of issue with registration happened or something, or. Maybe Texas is a pain in the ass. Uh, let, uh, I, guess I, I, I guess I'll say it this way because, like, what, what is like, I, I highly doubt Trump's here in this podcast and or anything, and I doubt the hammer's going to come down. Um, even though I'm in Texas, all of my stuff is still Jersey. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So you're getting mail and everything in Jersey, so that complicates the entire situation for you. And not that Jersey's going to swing the election either way anyway, so it is what it is. I wouldn't even say any more. I mean, I get it. I hear you. It's just an interesting interesting issue. So you still got a lot of stuff in Jersey, even though you're down in Texas. So your voting situation's complicated, and you're just figuring, I get that. All right. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's also, also kind of going off the back of what you just said. Because is my vote really going to... Right. For that specific area, you know what I right. mean? Like, yes. I'm not, I mean, should I? 
or I guess I should ask you, should I be worried? Do I need to do I need to fly to Jersey within the within the next eleven days? <laughs> no, no, you're fine. So All right. um let me ask you let so let DZ what is thing what are things with COVID I know we talk about COVID every damn time you call for the whole year, but still I'm curious. What's going on in Texas with COVID? In Jersey, it's spiking again, but you wouldn't feel like it's not like it was in March where we're all scared. How is it in Texas, in, in your area of Texas? Well, it, it, I'm actually glad you brought it up, only mainly because I, I'm pretty sure I probably mentioned it in the early days of the podcast. It's been mm-hmm. a while, but um, uh, at the uh, job number two, there is a uh, a, um, a uh, Mexican slash. Panamanian restaurant. It, 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 it's two uh, different Latin-style restaurants kind of just, uh, together. There's like an upstairs and a downstairs. But like, mm-hmm. every Friday, Saturday, they would have like, essentially like it was, this place would turn into a club and like you see lights flashing, you can hear music. Sometimes they'd have like bands in there. I think you told me about that before, and yeah. It died down. Yeah, and it died down during COVID and it started kind of ramping up a little bit, but it still wasn't. But today... Before I left job number two, like, the parking lot was starting to get filled, and, like, I saw a group of people just kind of, like, talking, about, and they, they all came from different cars. No one was wearing a mask. Wow. Like, this is great. This is great. <laughs> wow. Wow. So it's almost like a Trump rally with people not having masks on. Yeah, but it's funny because it's the, the type of people that are outside are the opposite of the type right. of people that are at Trump Right. But so, just in general, no masks, which isn't good. Right. Oh my goodness. So, so basically, you guys might be in trouble because COVID is coming back and people are not really adhering to all the masks and everything. In Jersey, everybody has a damn mask. I mean, like, it, I, I'm, and again, I could be wrong, but like, almost everywhere I see, there's you gotta wear a mask. You gotta wear a mask. You gotta wear right. a mask. I don't know if this is one of those things where, you know, like, they're wearing a mask to get in the building, and then they're taking it off when they get in, or right. taking it off when they're outside. I don't know. All I know is that I saw a group of people of at least six, all coming from different corners, meeting up with one another. No one was wearing a mask. It didn't seem like uh, the few people that I saw walking into the place were wearing masks. So, it, I'm, I'm assuming it's honestly just like the rest of the country. With the exception of probably the more like super liberal areas of our right. country, which is the places that the Republicans always complain about, the Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. Right. Um, but it's probably just like the rest of the country, where on both sides of whatever fucking hill you want to decide, <laughs> right. Right. Republicans, good, evil, fucking football fans, baseball fans, what the fuck ever. It's just some people are like, this is serious. Let's continue wearing our mask, and other people are just like, "This is not fucking serious. We're all gonna get it anyway." Fucking. So interesting. So crazy. So so. No- how's the so? How's the school? Is it is it semi virtual, semi in person now? What is it now? Uh, it, it's essentially pick and choose. Okay. Okay. Um, my my fiance, who's a school teacher, um, she actually uh, she now only has. Uh, Two, period, two class periods out of eight that have students in them. Interesting. Like, in okay, so and she is... So, like, it's, it's, it's minimal numbers. Like, 
she was in one of the, she was in a smaller school anyway. Like I can't, it, it's a, like a preparatory type school. Yes. It's not, it's not necessarily like, it, it's not like, it's uh, under, underprivileged type kids, you know, trying to help them get more of a leg up. Right. It's a, yeah, I get it. It's, yeah, I get it. So, um, so it's less so, students so, at in general, but then she has six periods where there's it's virtual and two periods with students, but the students there are less than normal anyway. Yeah, and where I was going with the preparatory school thing is her class sizes were smaller than what we're used to in the Northeast. Right. To begin with, you know, like our class sizes were like you know, 25, 30, 35, sometimes more fucking kids. Right. I yeah. I think. I think one of her classes, the most she has is 12. Got you. Okay, okay. Normally. Right. Normally, pre-COVID. Right, right. So now she's got, like, two classes where there's, like, I think there's, like, two kids in each class. So she's got, like, four kids total. Everyone else is virtual. Interesting. So you guys are in a hybrid. Up here, it's almost all virtual. I get it. Interesting, though. Interesting. So it, it so it's still hitting. It's hitting almost the same in Texas as here, and and you're seeing some Biden sentiment in your area, but your area might have leaned that way anyway. So, so it's interesting. So we're so we're on this journey together, Deedzy, and it's awesome to hear from you from from down in Texas, obviously. And I'm glad we got you and Rick's like you know kind of reports from the ground because it gives us an idea of what's going on in other places. Because you're from here, you know how it is here, where you just kind of get in this. You only see New York, New Jersey, and you don't realize what's going on everywhere else. It's good to hear about, just to educate ourselves about what's going on over there, you know. Well, I also, just to slightly divulge into that, I also feel like that's kind of like, I don't want to necessarily say it's a Jersey thing. I mean, like, that's definitely like a thing. Like, there's definitely, like, you get your own little bubble. But I would right. almost say that I, almost, I feel like it also probably has to do with, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if you think I'm wrong, but maybe like kind of like how like local local news breaks down. Yes. We we, yeah, we got Jersey 12, but like on Fox, ABC, CBS, all that, like there's not a Jersey station. Either you're either part of, you're either the part of Jersey that's lucky enough to get the New York feed, or yes. you're the kid part of Jersey that gets the Philadelphia feed. <laughs> right, 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 so, right. And yeah, I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Um, Truth. I'm just saying, there was nothing more disappointing than when I would go to Atlantic City. I'd be drunk as fuck, and I'm like, all right, it's time for me to go to sleep. Let's put on the news. Ah, <laughs> These are so true. When you're in Atlantic City, when you're in Atlantic City, that's funny. The only thing, if you turn on News 12 or Channel 8, which is like NJTV, that's the only thing that still is centered around like Newark, Woodbridge, all that. Otherwise, if you put the regular news, CBS, NBC, it's it's Philly. And it's a whole different vibe, culture, like everything's. And you're like in Atlantic City, like what world am I in? I thought I was in Jersey, but it's all Philly news. It's so different than the New York Jersey news. So true, bro. Different world. It would always bum me out too. It would always bum me out too, cause like, and like, this isn't too long ago, so like, obviously this is after the fucking the the TV HD upgrade, where like everything <laughs> upgraded to HD. Yes. But like you turn it on and like it looks like it, it, it looks like it's in four by three format. Yes. Yes. Why is that? What are you doing? You're you're a major city, a major news network, and you look like you're connected news. Like, <laughs> Bro, that's so 
true, bro. That's so true. It's so di- why it's so, that's so true. Like the the backdrops and the 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 definition and everything. It looks more local, like more more bush league. <laughs> Poor Philly, but it's true. <laughs> that, was, that was something I was worried about moving down here because I mean yeah. I, I watch more national news now, but it was always just like man, like. Because that's just kind of like my thing. If I can't find something on TV, like, I put on the news. Yes, All me too, yeah. Always, yeah. Always done. Yes. And just, and just, uh, I was worried about that moving down here, but no, like Dallas, like, the news station, like, they're HD, I can sit and watch it, I don't feel like I'm watching <laughs> Bush League stuff, like. Bro, it's true, it's actually yeah. sad for Jersey, because, like, you know, News 12 has stepped up a little. Like, in the last couple of years, they actually have Newark and Jersey City as the backdrop all the time. And they're more, like, centered on, like, what we are and more, like, professional about it. But it's funny because, you know, you go out to Buffalo or you go out to Dallas or you go out to Des Moines. They all look professional. But in Jersey, New York is so dominant that you go to Philadelphia, which is, like, a huge city. And it still looks push league. Like, it's just funny. It's so different over here. Right, it looked great, yes, but they they didn't show. Now they're showing Newark in the background, like like Dallas might show Dallas. Like they're actually like learning, like we're going to show Newark in the background because that's like your people's thing. No, like they actually have the Newark skyline now, so it looks like more like like this is actually Newark and New Jersey. We're actually centered here. Like they're they're discovering Jersey's like. North Jersey, I should say, is having like an awakening or something. It's interesting. It really is because I know exactly what you're talking about. That's our artistic mind, but but I definitely am on the level you're on, and all the listeners are too. And the ratings are up because they fucking know this is legit stuff we're talking about, and I agree. And I know what you're exactly what you're talking about. It's <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it also it, you know it breaks down to the sports thing. Like now, as as someone, I was born in New York. Yes. Raised in Jersey. Yes. So I do have the Jersey pride. Yes. But I always under I always understood in the back of my mind, like especially where we were in Jersey, like yes. we were an hour from NYC, we were yes. an hour from Philly. Yes. Two major cities. Yes. Jersey is not gonna get its own fucking <laughs> yes. with and, and no offense, but with fucking at least back in the day, maybe they can now, but Yes. Well, that was a that was an issue, but now they're Brooklyn, which is another borough, kind of like Jersey could be. But the Devils, because of their success, I think, is still t- minuscule compared to the Rangers. But like they were able to hold their own. And then one thing that we're not going to get into college football, but that Shiano really said was always like. Rutgers is like New Brunswick, which is more north but more dead center. That's like the only thing where you can get like South Jersey recruits, North Jersey recruits, and be like, we're Jersey. Like Staten Island, New York recruits, Philly recruits, because there's no huge schools there except Penn State way out in the sticks. But like Temple and like Cooney and whatever and Syracuse, they're not really competing. Like Rutgers is the only thing, if it ever got good, where you could take like New York kids, Philly kids, and North and South Jersey and be a Jersey thing. But, you know, I'm a Devils fan. I'm down the block from them. But I, I get what you're saying. It's just too fragmented and there's too many transplants from Philly and New York and media market issues and shit for Jersey to get its own thing. Which is a shame. But, DZ, if you look at the Northeast, Boston's big. But, like, it's not like Connecticut has a big sports team. 
I know Hartford was out there for a while. Or like Vermont. I mean, it's part of just being in the Northeast and having these little states. And, and essentially, yeah, you, uh, that was literally on the tip of my tongue and you just brought it up. Like, you know, Connecticut has a WNBA team. Right. Rhode Island has nothing. Vermont has right. nothing. New right. Hampshire has nothing. Delaware has Maine nothing. Has right, nothing. right, right. Delaware has nothing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, yeah, they have college sports teams and if that works, that, if that works for them, fine. Right. But, you know, like, yeah, just when you get to, when you're in the north, the, the northeast area, it's just, there's so many main markets in such a close. Yes. Place. Yeah, Jersey, Jersey's not going to get the, it's, even, like, the argument that was always, why aren't the Giants or the Jets to New Jersey? And it's, it's marketing. It's marketing. You always said that. Which is funny though too, because like all the Jets and Giants, most of them live in Jersey. They practice in Jersey. The stadiums in Jersey, but it's almost encompassed within New York. And I've learned to accept that. Like the the hockey thing, I love because you got the like Long Island team, which encompasses Queens to the Islanders. You got the the New York like Rangers, and then you got the Jersey Devils. But I've met Staten Islanders that are Devils fans. I've met Jersey people that are Islanders fans. I've met people in freaking everywhere that are Rangers fans. So it's a fun little like rivalry within our New York area. And it's interesting, when I wrote my book that I wrote, I learned to, I used to just want to fight in Manhattan all the time. Now I realize, I put in the book even, like, look, the monolith that is the Empire State Building and the Freedom Tower. Manhattan is the center of this huge, sprawling metropolis. And Manhattan, the singular borough of Manhattan, not Queens and Brooklyn, Manhattan is the center of this huge, epic world that we live in that encompasses Newark, Yonkers, Brooklyn, you know, Everything. This is just a huge metropolitan area. Just embrace it. It's New York. Like, dude, the soccer team, it's the New York Red Bulls. But, dude, it's in Harrison, which is pretty much Newark. And most of the fans are in East Newark and Kearney and Harrison because it's a huge soccer populace. It's mostly New Jersey fans, but it's New York because of marketing. I get it. You look at the skyline. It is what it is. I get it. Well, and just to go back a little bit, before they were the Red Bulls, they were the Metro Stars. I know, yes. New, York, New Jersey yes. Stars. Yes. They fucking split them. Yes, because it just doesn't... And that's where, like, in the Devils games, they'll show the Newark skyline, which is dope. But, like, Newark is... I, I rep it all day, every day. It's the main city of New Jersey. But the main city of New Jersey is just, like, downtown Brooklyn. Because it's all of just subsidiaries of Manhattan. So, it's okay. It's part of our culture. It's just interesting to see and talk about, because it's true. But, you know, I'm a Rutgers fan, I'm a Devils fan, so I rep Jersey all day, but... Totally understand what you're saying and agree with it, and that's just where we are. Interesting points. <laughs> Indeed. Again, just like when Rick called, we talked about one thing. We got on another awesome topic, so you know I'm going to promote the shit out of this conversation on the when I release this podcast. Awesome conversation. Yeah, that's, that's what I try to do. The past yes. couple times I felt bad because it's like, all right, I got to call in, and then as soon as like you would pick up, I'd be like... There goes my train. <laughs> all the thoughts are out the window. Right. I hope Larry can pick that up and he can lead me in a direction because now I'm fucking rudderless. Dude, today, true. I'm not rudderless. I, 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 I felt good today. Dude, I love it. It wasn't rudderless at all. I loved it. Thanks I, for calling, Deedzy. No, no problem, dude. Anytime, brother. Yeah, so, Deedzy, hope you call again next week. We'll talk to you again soon. And, uh, yeah, bro. Hope you have a good weekend. Hope you have a good week. Call in next week, too. And, uh, let's see how this election goes, brother. All right, brother. All right, DZ. I will talk to you another time. All right, DZ. Later, brother. All right. Later, brother.
Yeah, Deeds was awesome again. Um, and, and Rick's out here saying, you know, Jets, Devils. Uh, that's, that's a misnomer. Um, Jets are... Uh, Islanders and Mets. That's Long Island. That's Queens. So Jets, Islanders, Mets is a thing. Jersey Devils is Jersey Devils. That's a Jersey, purely Jersey thing, which was more the Devils and the Nets. And interestingly, the New York Giants were the first ones to come to New Jersey, and the Jets wanted to go back to New York with Westside Stadium, which was shot down by people that lived there. So the Giants are more associated with Jersey than the Jets, even though people try to, I guess, because the... The consonant, like J and J, Jersey Jets, it's not. The Jets are Long Island. Jets are, there's plenty of Jersey people that are Jets fans, but the Jets are from Long Island, Queens, which is the other side of Manhattan, which takes like an hour to get over there from where I am. Whereas the Giants are more associated with New Jersey, Manhattan, the Bronx, etc., just like the Yankees. The Mets, Jets, Islanders are Long Island. And the Devils. The other thing is, the Jets only won in 69 the Super Bowl. The Devils are a perennial rent winner, except for the last couple of years. The Devils have won a bunch of Stanley Cups. So that's that's a whole different different argument. And then you got the Flyers, which everybody hates, but different, different argument. Um, but anyway, loved having the conversation with you guys. There's not much else to say. Promote this podcast. If you are on the podcast, if you like the podcast, just do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Share the link. I'm going to post it tonight. The Podbean link, which also links to iTunes, Spotify. Let people know it's on iTunes. Let people know it's on Spotify. Let people know you got the live show here. Again, we went three hours because it was worth it. We had a great conversation. I love spending time with you guys. I love being on the show. Love all you guys. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you again next week. Make sure you get everybody you can to listen to the show. We are building. The momentum's up. Everybody keep their anxiety down. No matter who you're supporting for the election, keep your anxiety down. We're heading towards it. America will get through this. We will all get through this as human beings. COVID's hopefully we're going to beat it, and we're going to have a nice holiday season. I will talk to all of you next week. Good night. up as we said is it leaning more biden is it leaning more trump and then the iowa ohio question how are they looking well yeah florida yeah it, it, it's uh, to really just to just kind of like put it out there it, it's still as close as it was the last time it's still mm-hmm. and again like i said it's like a point and a half there in florida which again we as i've said before on the show and and even like on my, on my um, channels and everything, Florida is usually a percent either way. So, right. I mean, it's hard. I would say maybe Joe Biden has a slight advantage there. I mean, there's a CNN poll and Reuters poll.